This call is being recorded. We good to go. We good to go. You uh you done hit the mute all? Yep, I did. All right, let's I unmuted you too, because it muted you too. All right, there we go. And during the few moments that we have left, we want to have just an off-the-cuff chat between you and me, us. We want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. Sing. 
although we are both the same breed, together we're truly black learning to trust by the hour, loving our women now more, respecting what black is not more, and we've got love. We got it. We got love. Three centuries ago, we got love. You people would know. We got love. That we the strong black. We got love. Would survive the attack. We got love. After pain, finally. We got love. We set out to be free. We got love. Now what have we got? We got love, we got it. We got love, we got it. We got love, we got it. We got love, we got love. I'm glad we both think it's not time to really show what we can do in proving that God is down true. At last, we've outgrown on the tongue. We've only more time than the small. In the small, teaching our own a new life. Yeah, right. That makes us feel all good inside. And we've got love. Because global maps of every wireless access point's unique ID, including yours, are free and constantly updated. I would use Ethernet, yes, Ethernet on a phone. I would deny network permissions to any app that doesn't need it using an app firewall. It seems Wi-Fi is a privacy and security threat, apparently because of these global maps of access points. I didn't know anything about this, so I did a bunch of research to learn more, and it's kind of a rabbit hole. So a huge shout out to all the people on Twitter and Reddit who answered my comments. Upon Snowden's recommendation to use Ethernet, I went out and purchased a bunch of Ethernet cables, and the first question I had was, do I connect my device 
directly to the modem or do I connect it to the router still? Because it seemed that if I wasn't using the router for its Wi-Fi capabilities, would I even need it at all? This may be a really simple question for a lot of you. So if it is, feel free to skip ahead. But for those of you who have not looked into this, I'm going to explain briefly why this is a really important question. It can also be a bit confusing because they sometimes even combine the router and the modem into a single device. It turns out that although you can access the internet by either putting the ethernet directly into the modem or by putting it into the router first, you absolutely need to put the ethernet cable into the router. Essentially, your modem is not a security device. It is a data transfer device, and it is completely exposed to the internet. Anyone poking your public IP address would have direct access to your computer's vulnerabilities like open ports or exploits, etc. And our devices often have these. Think about all of the bug updates that we get for the apps that we install on our phones, saying that they're patching over some sort of exploit there. So if you do connect directly to a modem, you're completely relying on your computer's own security measures to protect you. Whereas routers include firewalls that are a lot more sophisticated and essentially provide a barrier between your device and the outside world. Discovering all this was super helpful, but apparently had nothing to do with Snowden's tweet about these global maps of access points. In my next bit of research, I found out that maps like these exist. Let's zoom in. This is Wiggle.net, but there are other sites that are similar. Every one of these purple dots is someone's Wi-Fi network, including personal hotspots created on phones to tether other devices. Because Wi-Fi networks are broadcast using radio waves, they can be read by anyone and maps like these can be created. These Wi-Fi transmissions can also be checked to see if they have an open connection or not. They can even be checked to see what devices are connected to each network. You can also see what kind of device itself is transmitting the signal. There are many public maps like this and they're constantly updated. You zoom in more closely and you can read every Wi-Fi network name known as an SSID. There are other IDs listed on here as well known as VSSIDs and I'll explain in a bit what they are. On these databases you can also search across time to see where and when networks and devices have been available in the past. So how do these maps get created? Wireless signals expand outwards in all directions from your access point. People's phones and computers survey Wi-Fi networks in the area constantly and automatically send data about the networks to Google for analysis. Your location is pinpointed in relation to all the Wi-Fi signals available around you. They're figuring out which Wi-Fi networks you're in range of to determine exactly where you are. And they're keeping a constantly updated database of every Wi-Fi access point in existence thanks to the data constantly being sent to them from our phones. And this is when you're not even connected to any of these Wi-Fi networks. Now is a good time to explain the difference between an SSID and a VSSID. It gets really complicated. Basically, SSIDs, as mentioned, is the Wi-Fi network you create yourself. So it might be Bob's Wi-Fi home or something like that. Now, the SSID could change at any time. You might rename it to Batcave. The SSID may have changed, but the actual device that is transmitting that network stays the same. And that's called a BSSID. It's also referred to as a MAC address. It gets pretty confusing. But the important thing to remember is that an SSID is a network name that you can change at any time, but the BSSID is the ID given to your actual device, and that always stays the same. All of your wireless transmitting devices, these include your wireless router or your phone when you turn on the tethering capabilities, have one of these IDs, a BSSID. And if we go back to this map, we'll see that these device IDs are also on the map. 
Because SSIDs can change and BSSIDs stay the same, sites like Wiggle and Google catalog the network by the transmitter itself, so the BSSID that doesn't change. And they have a permanent record of when that device has ever been seen and exactly where it was at the time. Now, if you know someone's Wi-Fi network name, you could search for them in these public databases and then find their actual device's ID also. Let's talk about this in the context of your phone. Now, you may not know someone's phone hotspot name, for example, but if they're using an iPhone, iPhone uses certain defaults in naming people's hotspots. They create a network taking the name associated with the phone and then adding a iPhone. For example, so-and-so's iPhone. You could take a guess at your friend Dimitri's hotspot name if he has an iPhone and he just went with the default settings. Search for Dimitri's iPhone. Then by narrowing down the locations, you could eventually find his actual hotspot. You can also see his BSS ID. So even if Dimitri changes his hotspot name, you can still find him by looking up his actual device. In this case, his device is his phone. Now you have access to a permanent record of everywhere that Dimitri has used this phone as a hotspot in the past. You could also see if this hotspot has been broadcast frequently from any particular location. That location might be his work or it might be his home or it might be a bar that he frequents. You could start to figure out patterns of his movement by watching his location on these databases. You start to see how this is a major privacy concern and also a major security concern. So now let's get back to why Ethernet cables are superior. When you use Ethernet cables, you're not broadcasting anything via radio waves that could be intercepted by people or devices nearby. You also don't have an SSID because you're not creating a wireless network. Your router doesn't need an SSID to tell your device where to connect because you plug it in and the cord tells it exactly where to connect. There's no network to choose from. You're just automatically connected to Ethernet. And your internal ID, again, that's not transmitted wirelessly, is just one, two, three, whatever port you actually plugged the Ethernet cable into on the router. Also, there's no device identifier because there's no BSS ID that is broadcasting your MAC ID because there's no wireless transmitter. Furthermore, you can't get access to the list of the devices connected to that router unless you had physical access to the router yourself and were actually connected to it physically yourself. So to summarize all of that, and then we'll get back to explaining this little thing here, creating and transmitting a Wi-Fi network is a really unsafe thing to do. It creates a lot of security and privacy concerns. It enables people to log your location at all times. It's not something that Snowden in particular recommends. Also, Wi-Fi drivers are usually pretty buggy, have a lot of vulnerabilities, and you don't want someone to be able to break into them because once they access your Wi-Fi network, they have access to all of your devices as well. So that brings me to this device here, which is a lightning to Ethernet adapter. You can also get USB-C to Ethernet adapters, basically whatever plug your phone takes. This allows me to connect my phone directly to my router. And that may seem super weird to a lot of you because we're so used to our phones being super portable. We can take them anywhere. The idea of it having a hard line attached to something is probably very foreign. But I've been testing this product out for the past week and I'm going to let you know what I thought about it. First impression, it is a little clunky. Uh, holding a phone and trying to use a phone that has a big cord coming out of it uh, attached to the wall. And it took me a while to find a place in the house that was convenient to just kind of leave the phone. So I wasn't taking it with me everywhere. But then I got used to it pretty quick. You have multiple inlets here. So you can put in ethernet. You could also charge it at the same time. That's super convenient because I'm someone who often 
doctor leaves the house with my phone uh, barely charged at all. Having this plugged in all the time in the past week, I haven't left my house once without a fully charged device. So that's a nice unanticipated positive externality of this. This is far more reliable than Wi-Fi. I have been plagued with Wi-Fi issues. Anyone who's watched any of my live streams know this. This has been the most reliable internet connection I've ever had. And having my phone in one place connected to this ethernet cable meant that I actually checked it less often and that led to increased productivity. So another unintended consequence. If we're being honest about it, this is not much different to a charger. So if you're someone who has your phone sitting at home, plugged into a charger at all times, you should really consider getting one of these and just plugging it into ethernet instead and turning off your Wi-Fi altogether. For all of the enhanced privacy that it gives you, I would definitely recommend it. Let's finish up with some hot tips. Number one, never tether on your phone. That is something that I have learned through this rabbit hole research that I've been doing. As soon as you just turn on your hotspot, all the devices in range are going to log that, send that information back to Google and Wiggle. They're going to put it all on their website, including your device name, your exact location, the time when that occurred. You do not want people to look through these very public databases and be able to find your exact location at any given time. It's just not worth it, guys. If you want to tether, use a USB tether. Don't turn on your hotspot. Next tip, if you do need to have a Wi-Fi connection, realize that the SSID or the network name that you create could make it harder or easier for you to be found in these databases. If your name is Jane Smith, I would not recommend creating a wireless network name called Jane Smith Home Wi-Fi. Follow up from that, if you do need to create a Wi-Fi network, you can actually request that Google and Wiggle not list your SSID on their website. Now there are details for exactly how to do that in the description below. So hopefully this has been a little bit helpful in explaining why you might choose to go with an ethernet hardwire connection rather than a Wi-Fi connection so that you can claim back some of your location data and give yourself just a little bit more privacy. Check out my links below for how to purchase these little adapters and thank you so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe. Uh, UC Berkeley professors are trying right, to well. a scary new killer robot video that's gone viral. The video is a serious effort by computer scientists to show the danger of autonomous weapons that operate without human control. Many experts say the technology is coming soon, and they are urging the United Nations to take action. Now, let me warn you here. The video is violent, and you may find it disturbing. You're looking at a dramatization of autonomous weapons that could be our future, programmed to kill without anyone guiding them. That little bang is enough to penetrate the skull and destroy the contents. The video now has more than 4 million online views. Take out your entire enemy, virtually risk-free. A $25 million order now buys this. Enough to kill half a city. The video was made by a production studio, but some of it looks like real news coverage of deadly attacks. First, on the U.S. Capitol. They flew in from everywhere, but attacked just one side of the aisle. One of the brains behind the video is UC Berkeley's Stuart Russell, a top expert on artificial intelligence. Russell and hundreds of other scientists and tech leaders are pushing for an international ban on what many call killer robots. Russell was in Geneva this week when the video was shown to United Nations delegates attending a conference about autonomous weapons. We talked with him via Skype. We wanted to show visually 
what we were talking about, what it means for autonomous weapons to be weapons of mass destruction, the fact that an attack can happen and no one would have any idea where it came from. Russell says these weapons could actually be made now by combining and miniaturizing technology that already exists. Make enough of them, and you could kill a lot of people fast with no direct human control. We showed the video to Gloria Duffy, president of the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco and a former Defense Department official. It's a very important tool to give people a real living feeling for how the weapons would work. There are clearly moral and ethical issues here, uh, issues of weapons that are being developed potentially for the good guys being used by the bad guys. Let's watch the weapons make the decisions. The video was paid for by the Future of Life Institute, a nonprofit funded in part by Tesla's Elon Musk. Musk is heavily involved in artificial intelligence for self-driving cars, but he's repeatedly warned about artificial intelligence used for weapons. Who could have done this? Uh, anyone. The last words you'll hear on the video are from Professor Russell. We have an opportunity to prevent the future you just saw, but the window to act is closing fast. More than 70 countries attended the United Nations Conference on Autonomous Weapons this week, but there was no concrete action taken. We have posted the full Future of Life video on our website, abc7news.com. Let us know what you think about it, too. Well, topping the global digital advertising market last year. Uh, we're seeing this incredibly large company getting involved in almost every area of commerce. The big tech media companies, they're actively silencing conservatives. What I'm saying is we got to break these guys apart. You want to run a platform? That's fine. You don't get to run a whole bunch of the businesses as well. Google handles 88% of search traffic in America. Facebook has more than 2.4 billion active monthly users, and it's projected that half of U.S. online retail will go through Amazon by 2020. There are calls from both sides of the aisle to break up the tech giants, to strip them of liability protections for what others say on their platforms, and to impose new regulations that would stop them from misusing the personal information of their customers. But there's also a growing movement among some of the web's pioneering thinkers and software developers to come up with technological solutions to countering the growing power of Facebook, Amazon, Twitter, and Google. The goal is to build a new decentralized web. There are so many different possible ways of decentralizing the Internet. And what's lacking is the legal right to interoperate and the legal support to stop dirty tricks from preventing you from exercising that legal right. Cory Doctorow is a science fiction author and tech journalist at Boing Boing, who's been thinking and writing about the web since it was introduced by Tim Berners-Lee in the early 1990s. Berners-Lee and other web pioneers, Doctorow points out, intended for their creation to be decentralized and open source. The cyber utopian view was not merely that seizing the means of information would make you free, but that failing to do so would put you in perpetual chains. There are a lot of reasons to want a more decentralized, diffused, pluralistic internet. It's hard to imagine that anyone is competent to make great decisions for two and a half billion people. Is there any reason to seriously doubt that this will just take care of itself, that more people will do what you have done and log off Facebook. The collective action problem of everyone deciding that it's time to leave Facebook 
is a really hard one. And as we see, it's not getting easier because even when you do leave Facebook, by and large, you end up on a service that's owned by Facebook. There are many theories about why the web became centralized. Dr. O largely blames the abuse of intellectual property law to defeat the decentralized free software movement, which was championed by the activist and programmer Richard Stallman who helped create the popular open-source operating system Linux. But today, hackers are divided between the old values and the new. Imagine if you bought a house and the basement was locked and only the original building contractor had the key. If you needed to make any change, repair anything, you had to go to him. And if he was too busy doing something else, he'd tell you to get lost and you'd be stuck. When Richard Stallman walked into a lab at MIT and found that someone had put a lock on the drawer where they kept the paper tapes for the computer, And he was like, well, what do you mean? I can't take that paper tape out and change the holes punched in it. I'm a computer scientist. I'm going to recreate all of the holes in that paper tape and make a clone of Unix. Passed in 1998, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act became an impediment to the open and permissionless approach to software development. The law was intended to prevent duplication of Hollywood movies, but it was eventually applied to all software. Breaking digital locks to learn from and improve upon the code of dominant web platforms became a federal crime. Today's tech companies use IP to shield their proprietary code from would-be competitors. And so this thicket of exclusive rights around products that can be invoked to prevent new entrants from making add-ons, compatible products, or even competing products has made it very hard for new entrants to emerge and I think is in large part responsible for the concentration in the industry And all of that thicket exists today because people who made their money as insurgents spent that money to keep their newfound power. Despite the legal and political challenges Dr. O outlines, there are innovators attempting to create new decentralized ecosystems of web services. This former Christian science church in San Francisco houses the Internet Archive a digital repository of more than 50 petabytes of images, movies, and texts. The organization has also archived more than 330 billion web pages. The archive's mission is to make all of mankind's knowledge available online forever to everyone for free, which is a pretty big vision. Mitra Ardan, who's the Internet Archive's head of decentralization, says the history of the web is too important to be held in custody by a single organization. He's overseeing a plan to migrate the Internet Archive's more than 50 million gigabytes of data to a distributed network in which the information is spread out among a storage network maintained by users. The decentralized web now is in the state that the early web was back in the early 90s, right? So there's a lot of things that work on a small scale, don't work on a large scale. We're a large scale site, but we're also a site that if we put up a decentralized web and it breaks, we don't have our whole business model contingent upon it. A beta version of this peer-to-peer network is already operating and publicly accessible. I think what it would look like is a world where servers were everywhere, that your internet router at home would also be a server, and those servers would talk to each other. And the interface may look very similar to what it is now, except you wouldn't be controlled by the branding. So the user interface and the data would be separate. Now the user interface and the data are inextricably tied together. But Cory Doctorow doesn't think the decentralized web can take off without government intervention. He agrees with Elizabeth Warren that the Federal Trade Commission should break up the tech giants. If you had your way, 
Facebook would have to sell off Instagram. Amazon would have to sell off Whole All those little businesses that they're running, competing businesses. Yep. I, I, who, who is the federal government to tell these companies they have to do that? Uh, there's antitrust law that's been around for more than 100 years. If you have a bunch of tech companies that got giant, by doing exactly the same things that all the other companies through history that got giant doing, that we used to ban, and that we stopped banning right when the tech industry started, maybe we could just try enforcing those rules again. Why would the focus be on antitrust and not on you know reforming intellectual property laws? So I think you've got a logical or where you want a logical land. We do need structural separation. We do need to, to break Facebook up so that it can no longer engage in this anti-competitive behavior. But that's just part of a set of reasons to do both. I guess the part that I'm a little bit confused about is the sense in which these companies are monopolies. Sure. Because yes, Google dominates search, Amazon dominates online shopping, but of course there are competitors. They're buying up potential competitors all the time and adding new technologies to their portfolio. But in what sense does that make them a monopoly? It may not make them a monopoly, but it makes them monopolistic, Okay. right? In the history of antitrust, a monopoly is not the only game in town. A monopoly exerts so much gravity that it distorts the market. Are there any promising technological solutions to this, decentralizing the web? I think we have all the tech. I mean, well, it'll need constant evolution and maintenance, but like Mm -hmm. it's all out there. Web 3.0 has this wonderful set of trust baked into the internet itself. Molly McKinley is a former Google programmer and current project lead of IPFS, the Interplanetary File System, a communications protocol that's meant to replace the system by which most of us access the web now through hypertext transfer protocol, that is the HTTP you see in your web browser. While HTTP connects your computer to a particular server, IPFS scours the network for a piece of content and connects you to whomever happens to be hosting it. The video you want to watch, the document you want to load, the website you want to go to, by what it is you're trying to view, not who you're trying to get it from. And that that change, that kind of simple-seeming switch um, in how you uh, organize things makes huge ripple effects and differences in what sort of tools you're empowered to build. Think of natural disasters or censorship or other cases like that where people lose access to content on the internet today. You want them to continue being able to collaborate and organize with each other and communicate and rely on these sorts of technologies and tools. Why would people host content? Right now, obviously, the answer is you make money by having the computer that hosts the content and serves it to people. Many people will join that cause because they believe in that cause and help make sure that Wikipedia or other data sets like that that we really care about continue to be backed up purely altruistically. But you can also end up in models tit for tat, for lack of a better word, where like, okay, you host my photo content and I'll host yours. And this way, both of us have backup. So if either one of our machines goes down, there's a backup of content and we can you know, do that with a whole group of friends and you are providing me a really useful service and I'm participating in that network. And then finally, you can end up in models of like storage for hire. And so Filecoin, which is in development is an incentivized storage network. By serving data, by uh, storing people's data, you can earn a cryptographic token. McKinley sees the decentralized web as a way to sidestep the dangers of government regulation and even authoritarian control. A decentralized framework where there isn't that middleman that can be manipulated or coerced or regulated into exposing your data. that's a better, safer, more resilient world, which doesn't 
end up in this case where it's susceptible to authoritarian manipulation control. We didn't take a broad enough view of our responsibility, and that was a big mistake. And it was my mistake, and I'm sorry. These two almost contradictory narratives that I see. And one is that the web is too centralized. There are these big companies controlling everything. And then, especially out of Congress, you hear that it's too anarchic, too decentralized. Trolls, hateful people, Mm -hmm. disinformation, and we need to be able to control it. And there's a certain convenience to being able to call Mark Zuckerberg in front of Congress. And Absolutely. Say, so we get a choice now whether we're going to fix big tech or fix the internet. But we don't get to do both. Um, if we decide that we're going to give big tech state-like duties to prevent bad action on their platforms, we require them to be big enough to do so. And we put a floor under how small we can allow them to become. If you make tech smaller, it's harder to suborn them to act as arms of the state. Mm. I think that's a feature and not a bug. We don't want to allow one person's judgment to be the be-all and end-all of uh, how the rest of us have to conduct our lives. We want to have checks on their authority. Mm. And one of the ways that you get checks on, the, on someone's authority is by allowing the people who live under that authority to go somewhere else. I visited West Africa in 1977, uh, Senegal. Then I went to Kenya, that used to be British East Africa. Then on up to Egypt, to Cairo, and to uh, outside of Cairo to look at the Great Pyramid and the Sphinx, and then took a plane up the Nile River to the ruins of Thebes and walked through the Temple of Ammon at Amon Ra that was built in 3700 B.C., the greatest temple that was ever built in the world. And I saw all these great things. And uh, we know that black people built all these things. And yet... Uh, Colin B. was supposed to be the greatest historian of his day, a professor at Oxford University, and he tells you that these people were white. And if you listen to these people, you'll get your uh, mind terribly balled up. Down in, uh, in Kenya, outside of Nairobi, I visited a village of people that... Uh, called the Masais. The Masais of the same racial stock as the ancient Egyptians and the Ethiopians. And while I'm uh, uh, standing there looking the village over, some of these people came up and I was shocked. All the authorities that, that I have consulted told me that these people were members of the white race. And they were blue-black. <laughs> In Senegal, where they say the people are Negroes, most of them were sort of medium brown color. None of them were actually black, but they are Negroes. And then you go over to East Africa among the Maasai's, and most of them are blacker than a blackboard, and they are white people. <laughs> so, I mean, if you're going to uh, 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 get the lowdown on history, you've got to use your own head, not somebody else's.
Now, I found out that uh, the Greeks, who were supposed to have been the founders of civilization because they were the first civilized white folks, but the Greeks got their civilization from the Egyptians, and the Egyptians were black people. And the Greeks passed their civilization on to the Romans, and the Romans are a very stupid, dumb bunch of people for the most part. They couldn't retain it. They lost it. They had a dark age in, in, in Europe for 500 years. And then another bunch of Africans, the Moors from North Africa, moved into Spain and started civilization all over again. So instead of Europe civilizing Africa, Africa has civilized Europe two times. So that's, uh, yeah, that's what you have to uh, keep in mind. And... Uh, now I want to say something about uh, what, why it is that uh, I have to be teaching you, be talking to you about African history. The reason I'm talking to you uh, about it is because it's not in the textbooks. And it's not in the textbooks because we don't write textbooks. We have other people write the textbooks and they put that propaganda in there and we are supposed to swallow it. Now we are told that after the Greeks uh, uh, were taken over by the Romans and that civilization decayed, and then the Roman civilization went down after the fall of Rome and you had a 500 year dark age, we were told that uh, Christianity re-civilized Europe and uh, produced modern civilization. And we know if we read the literature that these Christians, these white Christians of Europe are the dumbest people that ever lived. They said that the earth was flat like a pancake out in the uh, vastness of space with the sun and the moon and all the stars going around it. The ancient Egyptians in the pyramid age 6,000 years ago knew that the world was round. They knew that it went around the sun in 365 and one-fourth days, and their astronomers measured the Earth, and they knew what the polar diameter was, they knew what the equatorial diameter was, they measured the circumference of the Earth, and they calculated it so accurately until modern astronomers said their error was only one yard. In other words, the circumference of the Earth is about 25,000 miles, and they calculated it with an error of about this, one yard. So uh, uh, if you read history the way it happened and not the way other people wrote about it, you will find out that the black race created the civilization, created the white, uh, civilized the white folks two times. Uh, so that uh, you want to get some perspective on this. And uh, the white folks took the religion of ancient Egypt, of Ethiopian Egypt, and uh, boiled it up completely. Small group discussion. He said, I don't believe in racism. I'm a Christian. And an older white female said to him, son, we, meaning we white people, gave you that tradition. We gave you that religion. 
And we emphasize three things. Slave, obey your master. Turn the other cheek and you will get your reward in heaven. And so that is the yoke that black people, uh, I say by and large, are still under. Uh, and most black people are not thinking about uh, or understanding that we are in a total system structure of racism. But let me say this as well. When they talk about cases of domestic violence, the victim of the violence, be it a male or be it a female, be it black or be it white, no one emphasizes and says you should forgive the person who has been beating you. You see, they are admonished to respect themselves and go and file a complaint with the police department, further press charges and stand by those charges. Because if you keep saying to someone who is beating you, I forgive, that means come back again and hit me again. And then I forgive you, come back again. And even when you are raising children, you know, if you correct a child and say, don't do X, Y, Z, and the child goes ahead and does it. And then the child says, I'm sorry. Okay. The next time, the parent again says, do not do this. This is incorrect behavior. And the child goes ahead and does it. And then the child says, I'm sorry. Now, the parent who fails to respect him or herself and really fails to respect the child will just say, okay, you're forgiven over and over and over again, then you are raising someone who's going to be a sociopath because you're not saying, all right, you have apologized several times, but now you're going to have to face the consequences for your behavior. If the parent respects him or herself, then the parent will take that position. And if we as black people decide that we are going to respect ourselves, and this is one of the things that has happened to black people in the 500 years of our oppression, including the phase of slavery, formal slavery, is that black self-respect has been completely annihilated. And so, you know, we say, okay, I forgive, I forgive, and then we take the pain and frustration out on each other. It's just like in South Africa, truth and reconciliation. So the people who brutalize black people are allowed to go unpunished. But the pain that is inside of black people goes out towards one another and the system of racism, white supremacy continues. So I am making the recommendation for black people's mental health that black people take the position that all of the, all of these things that we are dealing with, the killing of black men every week, every other day, 
the incarceration of black men, the unjust sentencing, uh, gentrification, the removal of black people from urban centers across this country, that all of this is the face of racism, white supremacy. And black people have to take the position. We're not going to be in the position of saying we forgive. No, what we're going to insist upon is number one, that racism, white supremacy as a total system structure be recognized. And number two, when that system has been brought to an end and replaced with a system of justice, then the consideration of forgiveness of that, that won't even be in order because the system of injustice will have been removed and a system of justice established. Now that's my position as a black psychiatrist. And I would say that I'm certainly recommending that as important for black people's mental health in this system that the foundation of the position is that we are going to have respect for ourselves second to none. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Real Life the Radio Show. I am your host, Jenna Capra, alongside my co-host, Brother Rise. Brother Rise, how you doing this evening? Hey, peace and love. I'm still learning. Uh it's good to be live with you and the uh, other calls and listeners are greatly appreciated, but I'm still learning. How's everything on your end? Moving fast, moving fast. Uh, uh, first off, happy birthday to my uh, to my late grandmother. Happy birthday. Her birthday. Yes. It has been a special day for me. Uh, just enjoying. I, I could feel her energy all day. So, uh, speaking of, me and you was uh, discussing some of the African origins of uh, Halloween. Would you like to share some of that before we uh, get started in tonight's program? Uh, yeah, we can talk about it. That's not a problem. Um, you have uh, different cultures who have different ways of honoring their ancestors. Most cultures that are connected to the earth or indigenous cultures, they have a regular pattern of uh, honoring the ancestors. I know like in my spiritual practice, there's an ancestral holy day every week and my weeks are 10 days long. So it's three, three weeks of 10 days each. And then the last month of the year is five days long. Um, we just actually had our new year, the same day as uh, Ethiopia, September the 11th. Um, so you have these different, cultures that pretty much have different ways of honoring the dead. So when you go to the Caribbean or you look at Mexico, uh, you'll have something known as the Day of the Dead, which is usually on the 2nd of November. Um, you have the Halloween holiday is a descendant of uh, what they call Wiccan practices that come out of Europe and also have connections to the Druids and whatnot. And essentially um, on the 31st of October, um, that time of the year, 
was that's, con- that's considered in most indigenous uh, forms of spiritual practice a uh, veil between the world of the dead and the world of the living. So the two worlds don't really come in contact with each other very often as far as uh, people being able to see what's going on there. And that time around that the end of November, I mean, end of the October, beginning of November is considered a time where that veil is very thin. So it's very easy for people to uh, come in contact with the dead or see the dead and things of that nature around that time. And, and that was something that was uh, also a part of the earth culture of the European people, which translated into Sam, Sam, Samhain is how they pronounce it, but it looks like Samhain. And then um, eventually that became uh, Halloween. And what would happen is they would do like a, a masquerade where people would dress up with these ghoulish faces, usually meant to scare off the dead. And also because death was supposed to be considered close to that time, since, of course, the ancestors are people who transitioned. So the spirit of death itself was considered to be in the area, in, in those indigenous European areas around that time. So you would wear these elaborate outfits to scare uh, negative spirits, also to be unrecognizable to death itself. So you're actually masquerading as something or someone else. So death doesn't really know who it's taking. So you have a greater chance of surviving uh, that night when, you know, a lot of people can cross over and things like that because this veil being so thin. So like in the islands, like um, where my family's from in Trinidad, like I said, Central South America, you have the Day of the Dead. I would say a really interesting but very good movie on this is actually a Disney movie called Coco. And um, Jen and I talked about this a long time ago, and I mentioned it to him and said um, the, the, their traditions are very similar to African traditions. When you look at the way that the, the, the living people interact with the dead and this adventure that this little boy goes on, um, looking for and finding himself and on the way getting to know his grandfather and some of his other ancestors on this trip. And... Um, we have all kinds of different traditions in reference to uh, connecting the ancestors. So I know in Yoruba they call the ancestors Egun or Egungun. Um, <clears throat> in Kemet they call them uh, Sheps or Shepsu. Um, and Shepsu is plural. Sheps is uh, is singular. So that's pretty much uh, one of the comedic terms for for an ancestor. And um, you have regular interactions with them in some cultures and others you have only on specific days. So when you look at the day of the dead, that's like a specific holiday in the year, which you completely dedicate your honor to them. And you might leave them some of their favorite things. If you know that they like to smoke cigars, you'll offer them a cigar. If they like uh, black coffee, you make them black coffee and you have your little setup of your um, offering and they'll pretty much partake of what we call the cop or the spirit of that particular food. And then um, usually you would leave it till the food goes bad and then you clean out the plate or get rid of the food. Um, So these are all little traditions of honoring the dead. And especially, um, it's always good to honor them on their birthday. One of the best things you could do too is to remember them, talk about them, you know, tell stories about them and specifically call out their names. If you are trying to communicate with anyone in particular, it's good to call their name three times. That way they can tune in on who it is, and they, they'll, they'll pretty much be there. Um, it's great to light incense. That also provides a connection to the world of the dead and the world of, world of the deity. So it's also good to have that. Um, a candle, which provides energy for the dead. 
and then water, which is something that's used to keep them cool and help to keep them pacified. Um, if you're building an altar, then you want to pretty much have a very, very clean space and you might have items that they either liked or things that they had when they were living. So if you had an ancestor that was Christian, you might actually have a Bible on there. Um, if they had a favorite rosary, you might have that rosary on there. Um, you might have other symbols that you're drawn to and you'll be drawn to them for a reason. So once you put them there, you'll know if they actually um, are things that you want there, that the ancestors want there or not. Usually they'll, they'll let you know either through your own vibration, sometimes through dreams, little things like that, you'll start to see happening. That's the thing with the ancestors. Once you start making a real honest move towards uh, making contact with them, <laughs> they double up on you. So you'll find a lot of things start to shift sometimes very quickly when you start to really enact their their um their love and their power. They they make themselves known in quite profound ways. This is something my whole family's experienced for many, many years. And after we've lost uh, certain ancestors, especially my father in law, like he makes himself known in very, very powerful ways and there's different ways you'll see it. It'll appear in different symbols. It'll appear in the percentage of people. Um, sometimes even through my mother-in-law who suffers from the same disease he had, she'll either make her face a certain way or she'll say a phrase that only he said, that she never said when she was in her right mind before this disease kicked in. She'll make a, a statement that's identical to one that he's made. So it's almost like he's speaking through her in those little moments. So, yeah, just wanted to toss some of that out there. But um, was there any questions you had or anything you wanted me to no, elaborate I, on it Judah, um, I do enjoy that uh, because I went and I watched uh, Coco uh, a few oh, okay. times and like you stated uh, this time of year my, my grandmother loved Halloween and just so happens her birthday was at the beginning of this month you know which is today mm. so it was I never knew about some of those African origins and uh, yeah. the way you describe it is always, I think it's something that makes others want to go learn about it. So that's why I ask, especially on this, uh, at this time, when, when it's a lot of us getting prepared for Halloween and yeah. uh, from what they describe it as, it's more wicked. You know, that's the energy they right. put there. And I, I always think it's important to remind our family that, we had a similar tradition, but it wasn't with a, a wicked intent. Uh, so, like I said, I always like how you describe that. So uh, that's the reason why I asked that question. But as we uh, continue on, uh, actually, I wanted to start with that uh, decentralized web. Yeah. And how important and how dangerous at the same time that is uh, having a mm -hmm. decent as web allows us to make our own plans without being uh, recorded. Uh, if we take the proper precaution, you know, we won't be recorded. We could share uh, stuff with no filter. Yeah. But that it's is. A, it's it's good for interjecting. I just want to say briefly that when she was talking about the fact that before these laws came into place that tied the hands of programmers. Um, they were able to take a specific product and make it better. So you might come across an app like a Facebook, and then all of a sudden you think of a better way of doing it where it has more checks and balances and more security protocols, and then you put that version out instead. And then a bunch of people, once all the hoopla comes out about Facebook selling your data and stealing your information, they gravitate to that instead because it's more secure and Facebook collapses. 
like this, like they were saying that, you know, pretty much they were legally stopped from being able to improve on products. And it reminds me of rap and sampling. When we would take samples of certain songs, sometimes classic songs, do something new with it, and then the song would blow up. But then you get sued by the originator of that piece of art. But well, they're taking a piece of that art and you're making something new, which is what they're doing with the programs. In some cases, they were saying they were able to take, you know, ideas that were already out there and then develop something new and improved off of that. And all of that is now hampered. So even the development of better quality goods and services where people are catering to the needs of the public, where we start calling out for privacy and the ability not to be tracked and stuff. And people have these ideas and they're putting them together, but there's no room for them to be expressed because legally they're saying that that can't be done anymore. You know what I'm saying? Uh, that's all capitalism though. That's, that's exactly yeah. what uh, For, you know, just to put it in some of the more simpler points for those who may not understand what's being said you know it's the same thing it's like uh jailbreaking your iphone or your yep. uh or your fire stick like you you know yep. how it, there's a consequence if you get caught doing those things and it's on a bigger scale it was just the internet in general being able to jailbreak it and be able to just go in it and manipulate it and create whatever you would like to create uninhibited but along with that is such a dangerous uh side effect because like I was starting to say we could discuss things without nobody tampering with us hearing what we got to say and and all of that just be free and open but there's also people with a lot more resources uh that that has a specific point of targeting us that will also have that same uh ability so it's it's a it's like he said at the end uh do you want to protect the internet or do you want to protect the tech companies who gonna watch and make sure that none of this uh gets too far out of hand like what do you i think that's a conversation that we we need to know that's being had and a lot of us don't even know they're discussing it right now that's why i wanted to play that clip because there was a lot of important information about how where we've been proverbially straightjacketed as far as exploring, you know, some of the limits of the technology we have immediate access to. But then, like you said, the danger zone is that you could have, you know, terrorist sleeper cells who use the same sort of decentralized internet to plan an entirely, you know, devastating sort of a attack on a country or a group of people in a certain part of a country because they have that autonomy with the decentralized web. So there is a and that's what I always say, like when when uh, colonizers release things and technology, there's always a negative that they tend to not explore until stuff starts to happen. Like they never do a preemptive, let's, let's work the kinks out first, beta test this stuff. And once we figure out the important things, you may not figure out everything that, that needs to be fixed because, I mean, we're only uh, people. So there's only so much that we're going to think on, you know, to be able to think of everything as impossible, but at least some of the most heinous and dangerous things you should be able to think of how to thwart those things before you release it to the public, but they just throw it out there. And then as stuff happens, they try to play catch up. And then when you deal with the legal legal system, everything is a bunch of red tape and years for laws to go into, to be enacted. You want, you know, certain politicians may fight the fact that that law is being pushed. So it takes even longer to go into effect and all that time, just devastating things are happening through that medium of the internet. And no, nobody can do anything about it because legally there's not a law in the books that exists to actually do something about it. 
it's crazy. So it's a, it is a double-edged sword, but it's, it's a conversation we need to be completely aware of that's taking place and, and what the results of those conversations are because it's going to have a direct impact on our experience using the web and whatnot. And I do think they need to um, decentralize it as far as break it up, just like they did with My Bell back in the days. And then you got Sprint and Bell Atlantic and Verizon and all these other spinoff little companies do the same thing with that. And that way I think it'll make it a more even playing field. So people aren't pigeonholed into these singular organizations that have tentacles that reach everywhere. And it's just a free fall with your information. And they're making trillions of dollars off of information. They're garnering off of your usage. The, the map that was discussed where they can track you literally where you are down to the exact location, just by, you know, cross-referencing the signal from your phone and other devices in the area and knowing your um your SSID number, all of that stuff would be minimized if there was a, a broken it was broken up. With this monopoly is control. So I don't know. I could no, be you're, wrong. You're exactly uh right. Um and just to know that although they have all of this information held up together, anyone who takes the time to learn uh data processing and what have you, now they also have the uh the ability to track who whomever they would like. So uh these are one of the things that like uh people get talking on social media or what have you and you know like they were stated just ha- just having your phone on Wi-Fi could identify you. People can find you and it's a lot of people who talk crazy on the internet, you know whether they believe it or not, people can come and get you. It's not just like the, uh, like on the movies. Well, actually it's exactly like the movies. That's what they're doing. They're showing you how you could be located and people can come and see you just for simpler things that sometimes, uh, it's a and lot it has of, happened. It's being hurt these days. And I'm not saying this is the way I'm just, I just would like everyone to know that it is possible that this could happen to you as well. Uh, and it does happen. I would just say, watch what you say. You be very careful of how you phrase things because they do look for catchwords and things like that. And once you say certain catchwords, you do get routed to some, via some artificial intelligence algorithm, you know, into a system where you will be monitored. Like they, they're watching everything. And I remember when I saw a documentary on PBS about the HSA, and they were saying they literally had like just about every phone call ever made in the country recorded. And they said they have so much information that they'll never actually be able to get through it all because it's just like a daily input of just millions of megabits of information. And there's all these little underground bunker places with these little nerds in there working for the HSA and that's all they do. So, you know, they, they have everything. It's just that they were saying that at least years ago that they had so much information. They would, there aren't enough people working for the HSA for them to actually go through it all. So it's just to let you know, like, everything you do is being monitored. And I think if people get to see the visual on that, on that video where she shows the map of all the different yeah. Wi-Fi, it's, it'll blow your mind. Because if you're a woman and you ran from your husband and he knows your SSID, he can track you down to exactly what block you're in and on, possibly to the building you're in. And in some cases, depending on the technology, the very apartment you're in. So, you know, like there is no privacy. There's no such thing as that. And, and I'm glad she talked about how to get Google and the other sites she was, that she used, but there's tons of them out there to remove your SSID information off of their site. 
And I think everybody should take advantage of that and also use the um the uh the Ethernet, you know, the phone to Ethernet connection and do it that way and that'll provide you an even greater measure of safety because you won't even be on that map at all. So I would definitely do that. But um you were gonna say something, uh Jennifer? I mean- uh, you know, uh, some people could do that. Some may not have the ability to do that. You know, just so that you know and are aware of these type of things, I say. Uh, I also wanted to uh, go over the, what a petabyte is, because I know that people probably uh, skimmed over that when the uh, the white Christian, it was they called it the white Christian web, and he said they have 50 petabytes going through every day of mm-hmm. it. Uh, yes, he did. Now, petabytes. It says a petabyte is a thousand terabytes. Mm. That's a, a thousand terabytes is a petabyte. And, and every day they have 50 petabytes going through their server, collecting all of the uh, all of the internet history and the location data too is i mean that's just added on to uh everything that she was saying how they could find you mm-hmm. this one small church <laughs> has 50 petabytes going through it every day collecting everybody's information that's how simple i mean it's not simple to i couldn't do it but there are several there are other people that are taking this information and just to wonder what they're doing with it uh is is amazing but they can use those autonomous drones if they want to get you they don't have to send any people to go kill you they just send the drone and it'll do it do the job like i was going to say like if you have your phone like if you go and see a wi-fi and you live in an apartment building you'll see xyz's phone xyz's phone these are all your neighbors because all of your phones are in communication with each other and not just the the cell site so they'll be able to see what cell site you're connecting to that's pinging to your phone and back and forth and then they'll be able to see based on your neighbor's phone pinging your phone they can break it down and narrow it down to the very apartment even the chair that you're sitting in in your apartment so that's how precise that information can be um, and a lot of folks don't understand that. Like, like you, you're, like I said, your phone is just an avatar. It's a digital version of you. So um, they don't need to give you an ankle bracelet. They can just run your, your your cell phone records, and they'll find out everything they need to know. One of the things you could do is something me and my family has practiced, especially if we're going somewhere and we want like total privacy like that. We actually leave our phones. We'll park a certain distance from where we're going. Leave our phones in the car but we have like a, a cookie tin and everybody puts their phone in the cookie tin. And when it's in that tin, the phones can't ping anywhere. The signal is locked in that little cookie tin. And that way you're not carrying the phone. So the phone's not even listening to you or recording what you're saying. If somebody's listening and then on top of that, it's not able to send signals back and forth to the cell site. So um, until you take it back out of that cookie tin, so that's something people can think about, you know, you could also wrap it in foil that also works too, but um, the tin is something you can carry everywhere like that and, and not have to keep tearing off a new piece every time you want to use it. So there's right. just a, a little tidbit of information, you know, that people could take with them. Another important thing is using a VPN so that whatever, whatever you're doing online cannot be seen by other people. 
Um, they've been around since 1996, and they serve a very powerful purpose and in recent years have become way more important for the average individual who wants some, some semblance of privacy. Like I said, total privacy is not even a reality unless you just give up all technology and go back to, like, the, um, the Unabomber Ted Kaczynski live in the mountains and have no technology at all. Um, other than that, you, you, you know, it's just an impossible situation. But um, you can just try and work with it in the safest manner possible. So I thought that video was important. What else you wanted to say about that? Or well, I thought on? that uh, I thought you had slid in the next uh, video that I wanted to discuss, and that was the uh, the killer AI robots. Oh yeah, <clears throat> how <laughs> these type of data breaches, how they can just cross over. Uh, like I stated earlier, anybody can uh, take time to go learn how to be a hacker. Uh, getting onto the dark web, and we have uh, reported a bunch of these stories of where uh, hackers going into cars, uh, and the drones are very pro- popular now. It's so Did many you- different avenues, and with these, uh, with all of this technology, we're giving away our our location as well as uh, our. Ooh, excuse me these different uh, tools that we use like these drones to be taken away and used on us. And we would never know until it's happening. Mm-hmm. Just things I'd be, you know, I want to ask you, have you heard of, um, scam rap? Say again. Have you heard of scam rap? It's pretty much uh young rappers who, talk about how to steal people's credit cards and, and, and personal information off the dark web in order to get millions of dollars through credit card scamming. And they have a whole genre of these young rappers in their 20s um, that actually do this type of stuff. They just arrested one guy. I think he might end up doing like 50 years in the feds um, because they caught him with like credit cards. They caught him on the dark web. It's a whole thing. This came out um, like maybe a couple of weeks ago and it was my son who kind of sent me something about it. And I'm like, this this exists and i mean they're literally telling people like there's one called the um i think it's like the scam commandments kind of based on the crack commandments by big and um he's given step-by-step ways of you know accessing the dark web and, and creating fake credit cards and all of this stuff and they're again their music is what's getting them put in jail because they're telling everything and then the police are able to track what they're rapping with what they actually do and a lot of them are getting themselves arrested so that's that's another thing too. Like there's a, these young folks are super savvy with this sort of stuff, and these are the guys who pretty much are scared to be drug dealers. They don't want to deal with the you know the dangers of being shot and shot at all the time. So for them, this scamming is the way to go about it, and that's that's pretty much the new crime route for anyone who doesn't want the violence that comes with the the streets like that. That's what these guys are talking about doing. And one of them actually said in the little clip that my son sent me that was one of the motivating factors for it too. That's interesting because, <laughs> you know, we, we always talking about money mm-hmm. and they get, they getting it basically printing it off of the internet. You can say that pretty much. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're able to print fake credit cards. Um, they had a picture of one guy with like so many stacks in his hand and he's holding it to his ear. Like it's a phone and, I was just like, these guys are just, I, I sent my son a message. They're wrapping themselves into jail. And like a few days after I sent them that message, that, that big article came out with one of the famous ones who they had just did an interview with 
it was the interview I was that my son sent to me, and they were like, he's facing like 50 years, maybe more. He's in his 20s, so he's talking. If he goes down, he's coming out in his 70s, and he's in his 20s, like his early 20s now. I'm like, crazy. It's, it's insane, but this is like well, the new being thing. a genius, huh? <laughs> mm-hmm. He wasn't doing it for them, so he got to get rid of them. Taking pennies from what large companies? That's- well, he's actually taking people like so he could get like anybody's information. They buy it off the dark web, and then they use that information in order to get credit cards in those people's names, and they'll run up bills. That's pretty much how it works. So when you hear about you know X number of million of people's data was breached at Target, yeah, this the yep, this the type of stuff that's happening. They're buying and selling your information, and that's the sort of information that gets bought and sold. So some of these young rappers (laughs) and some of the people they're around, they are able to peruse the dark web, get that information, and do what any other scammer would do. And the crazy part is, most people, the average person doesn't know that. What we see is the internet is only 1% of the web. The other 99 is the dark web. So that's to let you know that you can imagine what's going on there. If all that we deal with on an everyday basis that we think we have access to is only 1% of the web, the other 99 is the dark web. That should just give you a lot of insight <laughs> into the kinds of things that are taking place there and why it's considered such a... Um, a dangerous place by law enforcement and just anybody with sense to be perusing. Cause you come across terrorists, you come across, uh, you know, kidnappers, child traffickers, pornography, snuff films, you name it, you're going to find it there. And if that's what you're looking for and um, it's serious business. And if you do get caught by in law enforcement, they're going to be, even if you didn't do anything illegal, you're going to be watched because that is just not a place that the average person should know about or be on. But, you know the reality is that what we deal with is only one percent of the actual web the other the other 99 is actually dark web material so it's deep so the corruption and the criminality is exponential on that foot side man yeah i'm i'm looking at it and it's quite a bit yeah it's serious um yeah, yeah, yeah. I, everyone that's listening should go check this out. Uh, scam rap. It's, it's a lot of different things that's popping up. But let's... Uh, mm-hmm. Let's move on. I know yeah. you want to talk about the killer robots, right? Yeah. Okay. So we discussed that bit last week and uh, yeah. we wanted to get back into that. Uh, what made you want yeah. to bring that back up? That's what I wanted to ask. What it is is this. It ties into um, the clip we played with Dr. Mumbi last week when she was talking about the fact that Africa is not free and that it's a resource colony. And when she talked about the reason is, you know, the U.S. built its biggest drone center, drone creation center in Niger um, or Niger, as it's actually said over there. Um, Then on top of that, you have all of these military stockpiles by all of the colonizers in pretty much all of the African countries, all 54 of them. So these killer robots, like she had alluded to the fact that they don't need to, because they're not, she said, because their numbers are dwindling, they don't need to send, you know, white soldiers on the battlefield to kill themselves. They'll just send a drone swarm and the drones can do the work for them and kill thousands of people, you know, and, and it's something that people wouldn't be prepared for as far as the Africans who they would be using them on. And to me, this video is like an addendum to that because, they're telling you that it's already possible and that the technology already exists. 
for a drone to fly right up on you, shoot you in the head, and fly away. And if you think about it, most you might get is some, some film footage of it because that's all anybody's going to be able to do is film you get shot. There's really no place for you to run or hide. It is pinpointed to you. It's using your phone on that map like we discussed in the previous clip, and they're, they're coming to get you. That's pretty much, you know, I wanted to I wanted to play it because I thought the video did more justice than just us having a conversation and having people imagine it. And then I wanted to tie that into what Dr. Mumbi's saying. And then you can add that to the Caribbean where the U.S. got different bases throughout the, the, the islands. You know, the, the U.S. got like over 900 bases globally. They have a military in so, so many places. It's, it's ridiculous. So the idea that, um, and they're just one country, you got to add France and Italy and, and Britain and all these other countries, these other colonizing nations as well, Portuguese and all these people, um, you have to add all of them. But when you put that into perspective, then we have all, as non-white people, been conditioned into thinking that we're free and that's the language that we use, and to a degree we are. But in reality, there's always that specter of this could go completely horrible in no time flat and we really wouldn't be that prepared to deal with it if they chose to use technology in that particular form of fashion um there was a clip we were going to play i think we'll end up playing it next week but it was um a clip of malcolm x's bodyguard no was i was trying to play that right when you was ready let me that's the night oh, okay. right there here we go This country doesn't allow black males to mature. It allows them to grow up physically, but not to mature mentally, intellectually, and spiritually. And Malcolm gave black men that chance in this country. This is a tough world. It's a risky world. You have to take chances. Things belong to people who grab at them. You can't just sit back and, and wait for things to happen for you. The whole existence of black people in this country has been a struggle from day one. And what little progress we have made has been because somebody made it happen. It isn't because of the way we part our hair. That's not the reason. Not. Somebody had to make it happen. That's what Malcolm was trying to do. He's trying to make it happen. And then when did the heat really become intense? After he gave the speech down at the militant labor forum. So if you go around calling white people the devil, they don't, they don't mind that. They put you on television, that you come around the college campuses and pay your honorariums. But when he spoke down there, he explained what it meant to be head of the Senate Armed Services Committee, what it means to be head of the Senate Judiciary Committee, all those kind of how the government really functions, not the spookism, but how it really works. When we came out of the, the building that night, we were standing there, me and him and Brother John waiting for him to bring his car around. I told him, I said, man, we're in trouble now. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, you didn't stop talking nonsense and start explaining how it operates. You're not supposed to do that. Because most Americans don't know how this country operates. White or black, they don't have any idea how this country operates. When we left, we went up to 135th Street, and we would come. We crossed the street, and there's a 
used to be a shoe shine stand there. And Bumpy Johnson was sitting up in there getting the shoe shine. And we come across, he looked out, he jumped out, right out and grabbed Malcolm's hand. He said, hey, brother, he said, we've been reading about you here. You got some problems. He said, yeah, I kind of have some. He said, so Bumpy told him, he said, well, well, you know how to handle that, man. All you got to do is make a phone call and that'll be taken care of. That's what he told him. He said, me, and, me and Malcolm were standing there. I think Benjamin may have been there. Been there I'm not sure. So we walked, they talked for a while about the whole time. We walked out 135th toward Lenox Avenue. I told Malcolm, I says, uh, you know what he meant, don't you? He said, yeah, I know what he meant. He said, I don't want black folks you know, killing black people. That was his, his, his attitude. And, and a lot of those people down there need to be told. But the only reason some of them are still walking around is because Malcolm allowed them to keep walking around. What role did the police play in this, when all these people were after him, all these attempts were made on his life? Where were the police? Only time I ever saw the police do anything for Malcolm was in Philadelphia. We were down there. The police were downstairs. These are all black police, not in seeing white cops. The police were downstairs at the door. They were in Malcolm's hotel room. They were outside. They told me they were on both sides. They had the rooms on both sides and the room upstairs over. So in Philadelphia, uh, you saw good police support, although you're not sure whether it came from the police department or whether these police officers, who you say were black, just took it upon themselves to yeah, like the man. Yeah. But anyhow, he was safe when he went to Philadelphia. And they had shotguns everywhere. They were, they were not playing. But wherever else he went, there wasn't that kind of police concern or even anything near to it. Nothing. No way. But now it was clear. Everybody knew that he was being hunted. Right. Including the police. Yeah, I guess they can read. And yet the police were not running interference? No. No way. So what conclusions do you draw and what conclusions did he draw at the time? That whoever it was was, well, like the thing in France, he couldn't land there. He knew that there's no way in the world the Muslims could have arranged that. The French government didn't take orders from Muhammad, you know, from nobody else for that matter. So he knew it had to be somebody way up higher than the average run-of-the-mill person, or even local police department. They couldn't have pulled off anything like that. And they're, well, I guess they're the same forces that got rid of John Fitzgerald Kennedy. He had Secret Service all around him, but that didn't protect him. You see, who can get better protection than the president? One would have thought. Yeah, that. one would have thought that. If they could get him, we wasn't looking for any help from anybody. What kind of an attitude did Malcolm himself have about all of these things that were going against him, even though all the man was trying to do was do right? What was his attitude like? Oh, we had started, so we had to continue. We couldn't turn back. Uh, we had to uh, to go as far as we could with it. And then the next generation could take off from there. Well, he knew that that was all she wrote. Oh, yeah. We, none of us were planning on dying of old age. I mean, we hadn't even thought about that. One of the reasons why insurance wasn't important to us and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you're living so fast, man, you don't have time to think about a lot of things. It's a fast life when people are hunting you all the time. You never know who's going to be after you next. So, what was his attitude toward 
police, the bureau at that time? Oh, I don't. I don't think we really ever discussed it. Well, we didn't. We didn't. It was just taken for granted, though, that they were not not source of protection. No. That kind of situation, you look out for yourself the best you can. Is that why um, he went through such great lengths with both of you, I guess, to put down a record? You, Earl, you recorded a lot of his speeches. Yeah. And Bob, you were taking pictures. Yeah. Because he wanted to leave as as good a record as possible of what he was about. That's right. In the little time that he had. You got a lot of people. A lot of our younger people coming out of these schools and going into these corporations, they think they're just another corporate figure. Well, that's not so. No way. That's not so. They're only there because somebody paved the way and, and like those kids down in the south, that church that was blown up, like preachers down there were trying to get people to register to vote that were killed. Dr. King was killed. Ned Gabriel. All this younger generation need to have it burned into their brain how they got where they are and that the road was not, it was not easy and that they are not in heaven. That's one of their main problems. They think they're in heaven now, but they're not. They're still here. We had a John Fitzgerald Kennedy and you look at Washington today and there's no replacement for him. These people only happen every now and then. And that's interesting. You had a young white man and a young black man who tried to make the kind of changes that this country needs and they were both eliminated then you had the man of peace was eliminated so that tells you that the people who run this show don't plan on making any changes anyway do you think there's a connection between those assassinations and the people who run this show as you say absolutely do you regret your years with Malcolm? Not a that? single day. Not one second. None of the brothers did. It was the best thing ever happened to us. What was it about him that made you willing to lay down your life for him? Well, for one thing, he was honest. He never lied. If he ever said anything to you, you could, you could bet on it. And he was sincere in what he was trying to do. And uh, uh, I guess I really never thought about things like that. We didn't take time out to think about things like that. We had something to do, so we did it. it just a few of us, Luke, Mother, myself, Brother John, Brother Ivory. What is it that that hurts you so when you talk about those days? Oh. It was a chance to really be somebody. Oh, man. People in charge are not planning on making any changes. Killed a violent person, 
killed a peaceful person and killed the people that's giving out the information and to make people think for themselves. Yeah. So he, he said quite a bit, but that last little part right there kind of it kind of grabbed everything all into one little small sentence. But go ahead, Ross. Yeah, Earl Grant, he just passed um a couple years back. Um he was like one of my favorite people around Malcolm. Um and his interview with Gil Noble, that's a section of it, is just phenomenal. And I saw it when it came out in the eighties, um, when I was still living in New York as a youngster. So yeah, it's it's powerful because um there's a section that didn't play in this clip, but he talks about a survey they did where they interviewed um, a whole bunch of white people and said, if black people suddenly started to disappear, like let's say the nation did something like what happened to the um, Jews to them, where they just started disappearing black people and they were just never seen or heard from again, you know, and they said that from the study, they determined white people wouldn't care. Now, isn't that exactly what's happening right now? He said this in the eighties. Isn't that what's happening right now where black people are disappearing or they're being found with their organs missing? Um, you know, young, young children, adults, black women specifically, even black men, and nobody cares. Matter of fact, in a lot of cases, we don't care. Facts. But like I said, yeah. black people don't love black people. We hate black people. And I think the, the, the context of it like um, the clip with Dr. Wilson, and she was just talking about um, when the when the um, the brother came in, in the in the uh, auditorium and said, you know, he's a Christian, he doesn't think about racism, and it took a white woman explaining to him the military mindset behind the use and the weaponization of Christianity and the way it was specifically presented to black people, um, just mind blowing because. There, of course, you have black people who don't think that way. They're a Christian who, you know, and we're not going to just talk about famous people like Nat Turner and Denmark VC and these people, but even just average black Americans, there are some black churches that are very African centered. They know their origins. They propagate those things. And that's what you're going to get when you go to those churches. But the overwhelming majority of black churches are not that. So the, the overwhelming mindset for a great majority of black people globally that are Christian is the mindset Dr. Wilson described in her clip. And it is not anything that you can necessarily blame people for because you're born into it. Your family grooms you with what they know. And if that's what you're taught, that's what you're going to go with. But, you know, at some point you might become a young adult. And it's also, I think the psychology it uses is almost like cultish because it's blasphemous to question anything about the religion in a lot of these situations. Um, if you ask questions, you might be ostracized. So a lot of times people just don't ask questions, but if you just take time on your own and say, you know what, I just want to kind of figure out where this comes from. Why, do, why is it that this religion is practiced the way that we practice it here? There's different forms of Christianity. How did these forms of Christianity that we specifically practice in my family, how did they come to be? Where are they from? What are they all about? And if you really start digging, because the, the really learned people, they know this stuff. <laughs> they know this stuff. They just don't teach it to the public. It just depends on what theology school you go to. Um, but they, they, they get a lot of secret information they don't release to the public, especially if you're going into Catholicism, because a lot of their symbolism is just commandeered comedic symbolism. The Pope, 
he has a crook and a flail, just like you see the, the, the different pharaohs of Kemet with the crook and the flail. That's where they got it from. A lot of those different crowns they wear, the different robes they wear, they got all of that from Kemet. And, and like Wallace Budd said in the 1800s, 1890s, if I remember correctly, that um the oldest known people that, that he's come across on earth that were Christian were Nubians. He said everything that people think is the core of what Christianity is, you find it there. And not the, not the stuff that was added on by white people to weaponize it, but it's in its pure original form, that it was a direct descendant of the Asarian religion of the Kemetic people. They just changed the names of the characters. Hey, we can, pretty much it. So go ahead. we can get into uh, some more of that because me and you personally have dived into this <clears throat> into this conversation. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh my my grandmother who who helped my mother raise me, which is her birthday. Mm-hmm. Happy birthday, Irma Ruth, once again. Happy uh, birthday. These same these same type of practices. Uh, she used to explain a lot of this to me. I wasn't paying attention. Uh, didn't care. Too afraid to say anything back. So you know, just accepting these things. And I'm as I'm starting to uh, question a lot of stuff, I get to pass that along. And like I stated, man, you done went through this, uh, mm-hmm. seeing different things, uh, the different mindsets they create, uh, because it's not always bad. And like you stated, uh, there's a lot of everyday black Americans that are Christians that, that do think of themselves, uh, from an African standpoint. So you, you start figuring out a lot of these things, but you cannot, and you should not overlook the the systematic brainwash that most of us have gravitated to. But me and you done talked enough, Raz. Uh We have quite a few that have something to say. So uh, by order, uh, we will go with uh, Brother Cujo. Welcome to uh, Real Life, the radio show. You other callers, we see y'all as well, and we'll be getting to you uh, in the order that you came in. So Brother Cujo, how are you doing tonight? And uh, what's your statement, sir? Peace. Peace. Uh, greetings, brothers. It's good to hear from you guys, man. Back at you. Nice to hear from you as well. Yeah, I was um a little two two things you guys really brought up that I think really imp- was really important. One was the uh, the situation with the with Amber Geiger and um, mm-hmm. Jean and um, awesome Jean, yeah. Yeah, it 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 was disturbing uh when that occurred to me. I was uh, I was at work, somebody showed me the pictures and um it just it enraged me and I was upset with uh the brother for hugging her. I was upset with the the judge and I was upset with everybody that greeted her and really one of the things and this is one of the things that Dr. Tommy Curry speaks about is that here you have a black man dead because of somebody else's racist mind frame and tendencies whether conscious or subconscious and the onus is taken off of the man that's dead and it's all put towards her even down to the judge and the bailiff you know and that's where I had to you know I had to step back and realize like look these are victims of white supremacy just like I am they're just dealing with it a different way that I, I don't agree with I am upset with it but VGQ. I can't. I can't say too much about that. Um, and the, the and the second thing was um, the information aspect. I was just give a statement like that was really good information. 
and uh, I definitely got to look some of that up. But um, I, I wanted to get your, your thoughts on that, on the case, and what you guys thought about it. I mean, I, like, I just gave you my opinion. I just wanted to hear what you guys thought. Sure. Um, and, and and one more thing, the brother that uh-huh. was murdered, the brother that was murdered, yeah. that was an eyewitness. I thought that yeah, was... Yeah, Joshua, I'm forgetting his last name at the moment. Yeah. Um, Joshua Brown. Uh, Joshua Brown, yes. I think that, matter of fact, I'm going to talk about that first. Uh, they just had some information come out with claiming that he was shot and killed in a supposed drug deal going bad. Yeah, some people from right. out of state, from Louisiana, who they say they picked up in connection with the shooting. Something don't sound right about that. I mean, it could be correct, but I really, I, I, I'd rather just sit back and wait because it seems like over time there's going to be bombshells that come out about whether it's misinformation <laughs> or just complete incorrect information because something just doesn't seem right. And especially when he was supposed to be also testifying at a civil trial against the police department. Right. That was his next, that was his next steps. And they said, and they actually put out some information in the article I posted from, I think it was daily mail where he said he feared for his life before he, and he almost stopped, uh, canceled his testifying. So the police were intimidating him before he even got to the court. He thought about not even testifying because they were intimidating him. And then uh, he finally does his testimony. And days later, he's he's gunned down and all of a sudden it's a drug deal going bad. You mean to tell me that he's a juror and if he had those sort of um, behavioral tendencies, you don't think they would have exposed that? I don't it, – it, nothing about that seems – Correct. I don't even from the pictures I've seen on his his um his uh Instagram, he looks like a regular guy. He'll I mean, you know, he does young boy stuff, he's a young man, but I mean he looked like a regular guy. He don't nothing about him exudes that he's hustling. If he's doing that, he's doing a great job because he fooled me. Um so I, I there's something that just seems he was a he was, he was a college uh football cornerback, so he he had already it, it, it through and what have you. It, it don't gel. Something about it doesn't make sense to me. And like I said, I'll, I'll reserve my commentary, but I just find it telling that he, he was killed days after his testimony. He was terrified before he went in and almost canceled his testimony. And before he was supposed to testify against the Dallas Police Department, all of a sudden he shot in the mouth and they shoot him in the mouth of all places. Right. That's like what the mob will do. They'll shoot you in your mouth. Oh, you got a big mouth, or they'll cut your penis off and put it in your mouth, or they'll give you a Colombian necktie. These are all things they would do. You know, so to me, like, that's a, that's a symbolic message that he got shot in the mouth. So it, it says a lot. I'm just going to reserve commentary on that, but something's fishy with that, in my opinion. I could be incorrect. They could be completely on the up and up, but I don't believe it. This is America. This is the police. Nah, I don't believe it. So um, when it comes to Brooklyn John, you know, it's a uh, it's it's a sad state of affairs. It's not. Um, th- it was one of the hardest VGQs to ever provide in my life. When I saw the footage in the courtroom, I got physically ill, like viscerally ill, watching that go down. I, it was hard not to, even if it was just psychological, just pass some sort of judgment because it was unfathomable to me. And then I had to like pull back and say, you know, this is their response to the system. People actually respond very, very strange ways, strange ways when people die. You know, it, it really can trigger sometimes real idiosyncratic behavior. Um, and then you look at the judge. The judge, to me, should be fired. 
she has control of that courtroom. Mm-hmm. She's not family. So for her to even get wrapped up in any emotional c- connection here, it's non-professional and it's illegal. Then she's not even supposed to allow touching between the victim's family and the murderer. And she literally gave full permission. And you got the bail of combing her hair and stroking her. It just reminded me of Malcolm X when he says, we sick, master, we sick. That's all I thought of. I got viscerally sick, sickened by what I saw. And it was literally in my 46 years of life, the hardest, the very hardest VGQ I've ever had to give without actually going completely anti-black and just like, just over the top with it. But, um, you know, you have to really be patient. Like we say at the end of the program, patient with other black people, even people in, in that situation. And it's hard to do because sometimes it just seems orchestrated. It just seems so like out of place. I'm a different person. I think differently. I'm codified in a different way. So for me, that it would look that way. You had a whole lot of people who supported everything they did. So I'm just not one of those people. So I'll, I'll put it like that. But it was um, very much what I call the um, Jesus Christ syndrome. When we see white people, those of us who have been uh, involved in the weaponized version of Christianity, even if it's unbeknownst to us, we see white people in general as Jesus. And we see other black people as the devil. And that, to me, is where that visceral hatred comes from. If that was a black person who killed a, who shot a white person, the judge would not have been hugging them and giving them the Bible. The bailiff would not have been stroking their hair. Nobody would have given forgiveness or anything. White people don't forgive. There's not a time in history that I know of where you can see that a black person did something to a white person that was ever forgiven. I mean, they burnt down whole towns due to accidents. (laughs) So... Yeah, I, it's crazy, but go ahead. Yeah, Jenny, you give your take on it. Uh, I'm not going to go too far. We just want to, uh, cause there's a few more callers on the line and we're going to be on for a little while tonight. So, uh, not too long, but we're going to go over. So just to let you know, you will not lose whatever point you have. You will have time to make that just to answer your question though. Cujo, uh, I feel similar to rise as far as, uh, I can't pass no judgment on 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 the brother because like he said when you when you lose somebody that close to you 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 tend to do strange things uh, you know everything has a purpose may who knows why he done that why his brother uh said what he said uh none of us have to agree with that the part that's really disgusting though uh is of all of the black people who wanted to uh just attack them like you stated it it went back to all of the black people all of the negative and that's the worst part of it all uh because their brother they lost their brother so whatever they do or whatever they choose on how they feel the best way for them to have closing that's fine you don't have to agree with that but you should be able to uh take that and not call them out of their names uh the next thing, as far as uh, the judge hugging them and, you know, we as a people have always been the most faithful. We we show the most empathy. Uh, we give the most love. So these things are not all that uncommon. Granted, they may have been a lot of reasons why we are we have ended up in this particular place where we are. But like. Uh, like in the last clip that we played, 
uh, hold on. What did he say? Uh, it's always somebody had to, uh, somebody. Had, what was that? Okay. We're going to come right. You next to, uh, uh, area code seven, three, four, but, uh, just put yourself on mute just for a second, please. Uh, right. let me get back to my thoughts. There was always somebody that had to come into, uh, they had to take a chance possibly losing their lives for us to even have this time. So however they may do it, them personally, you know, we could hate it. We could use a lot of energy hating it, which a lot of us have, or you could just accept that. And like I said, we have to take these, these particular instances, like this particular instance, we have to use this same lenience that this black woman gave. We have to rally together and, Say, for instance, uh, it was an ex-football player that they have been showing here recently that was robbed. The white guy that was robbed by a, a black man, he robbed two or three of them. Now, yes, he, he should do his time, but they gave him 43 years and he didn't murder anybody. But instead of us uh, coming together and making a protest for that to be repealed, we are too busy calling these black people names who just lost their brother. So these are the type of things I think of when I see that. No, I didn't agree with it. Uh, I I feel a lot of anger just thinking about it as we speak, but that's still no reason to be calling them out of their names when it's a lot more things we could be using that energy on. Uh, hopefully that answered your question as far as how I felt about the trial and rise as well. And your mic will be open, but let us uh get through some of these other callers and we'll come back to you, Cujo, all right? Yes, sir. All right. Thank you. Uh, Thank you very much. Code 734, your mic is open. What is your name? What is your comment? And where are you calling from? Going on, gentlemen. This Hayes. Greetings. Greetings. Called Man Arbor. I'm a Detroit uh, native. And, uh, hey, Roz, I wasn't ready for that that drone footage. I thought, um, I thought I was doing something. When I broke the, when I hacked my own drone just to get over the geo fence to go over 400 feet, and you know uh, these people are <laughs> wasn't ready for that, bro. But anyway, um, yeah, Mr. Brown was shot in the mouth by a cop. Now anybody that wants to think otherwise, you can debate that all up and down, but that's what they do. This. Blue Wall of Silence, it's a gang. Come on, let's yeah. call it what it is. Now, it's a gang. They're not country. playing. They are not playing with us, all right? Now, I put the young man's Instagram all up and down my channel, and it's this, he was a hot mess. He had a black child by his sister. He married to a French white chick, but he got a ching-ching, ling-ling, on the side piece. He a total hot mess. But he got all this cash up on his Instagram. If he's a football player, where you get all that class, you know, all that cash? Now my grandfather always told me, you don't flash and dance because somebody out there is hungry. Alright? Now all of a sudden they pick up somebody in Louisiana for some weed. Excuse me, Louisiana and all the South is a wash with weed. They don't need it from Texas. All right? 
Now, this is all this stuff is just is 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 messy, but I'm not stupid. That was a cop hit. That's what cops do. And if you talk too much, yes, they shoot you in the mouth, or like Rod says, they give you a Colombian necktie, which is that's pretty nasty. Now, the Trinidad thing, the my my family's been decimated by my uncle marrying a Trinidadian bush woman. This woman is as black as the tires on my sixty Bel Air, but came over here and within the first week of landing in this country was at my dinner table with my grandparents and the rest of my family, Adolf's baby, and said she was not black. My grandfather held his fork in mid-fight and looked at this woman and then looked at his son as if, what did you bring in my house? A grandfather fought for this country, Korea, got his GI loan. He was a jack-of-all-trades. He was a journeyman for Ford Motor Company before he went back to get his master's. She looked down on him. Now, my uncle has always thought of me as the thorn in his side because he was 15 when I was born. And he put into work not just to ruin my life, because that cooning for capital is a real deal. And it's really, really a real deal if an Ados marries one of these island people because she kept, she just kept the fire going in this family. My family used to have a, a, a family reunion. We had a big Christmas in the house that I'm sitting in right now, my grandfather's house that he built from the ground up. But after 2000, my uncle sent me to prison. He well known. He sent me to prison in 2012. He finally got me, but he got me my first felony on a bold-faced lie in 2000. But wait, it gets better. My uncle had his only son by his high school sweetheart, not this Trinidadian woman, but they didn't work out, okay? As soon as this woman touched down, she made him disown his only son. Now, in 2010, my uncle knew that my cousin had a hot glock. And the police department here in Michigan likes to give rewards to those coons. Hey, now, now, just wanted to we chime were... in real quick. One second. Um, we don't okay. actually use coon, we don't name call black people on this platform at all. That's just not. I don't think, like, we get mad and we'll say certain things, and it's fine to be upset, but name-calling them is not going to change their behavior. What their behavior is is their own response to white supremacy. And you may not like it, none of us may like it, but it's their response, and they're warranted to any response they want as a person who's being victimized. Now, Can I just call them sleep? Instead of calling them coon, can I just call them sleep? Um, yeah, sleep is fine, I guess. You know, as long as it's not an, an offensive name, and especially not a name that white people used to call us. Um, and okay, I can dig that. One, I can dig that. One thing I could say is, because I'm actually of Trinidadian descent, and you have in a lot of these different islands, a lot of people 
because of how you're coming from an island where the people who run things either are East Indian or they look like you and they're black. And there's some people who identify with nationality over race because race doesn't play out the same way in Trinidad as it plays out here. It's more a black versus Indian thing more than a black versus white thing. So some people don't hang on to the black title. They, they pick it up when they arrive here. Um, they'll more hang on to their nationality or where in Trinidad they're from or whatever island they come from. And a lot of us in America get that misconstrued. Racism wasn't practiced exactly the same everywhere. So the term black, the way that it's used here, is unique to here because this is where the race game really began. 1681, when they invented white people, they invented black people. And that is where everything, as far as shaping the way that we in, in America view race, where that comes from. And it doesn't mean that everybody's like that because, you know, Kwame Ture Stokely Carmichael was from Trinidad and he identified as black. My parents came here from Trinidad in the seventies. We identified as black. There was never a question of that, but you have people who are like that. And, uh, you know, you, it's in, and when it comes to decisions people make in regards to how they treat family, <laughs> it's not necessarily because a woman came into the picture. That could be the case too. Um, if the woman's manipulative and that person's open to their manipulations, but again, the person has to be open to it, which means that the onus is on them to in, in how they treat their relative. It's not some it, somebody might be putting things in your mind, but you're acting on it of your own accord. So there's a lot to to look at when you're analyzing a situation like that, and because there's a lot of uh, in in instated purposely instated animosity between immigrant black people and American Africans, ADOS, I think that it's creating this, this vitriol that really shouldn't be there. We both have the same issues and we both have uh, pretty much the same story. The vast majority of black people who came into the Americas via the transatlantic slave trade were island hop. They came from the Caribbean. Very few ships came directly from Africa, directly to the eastern coast of the United States. The majority of black people brought here during the transatlantic slave trade were people who came from the islands, from Barbados, a, a lot of people from Barbados, from Jamaica. These are some of the main ports, and they would send them back. If they were black people, they couldn't break. They would send them back to the islands, buck break them, and then send them back here once they were broken if they survived the buck breaking process. So the overwhelming majority of black people who were brought here via the transatlantic slave trade actually came from the Caribbean. So there's a direct connection between ADOS people and Islanders. And when you look at the history, as far as what Island people as immigrants contributed to this country, it's legendary. It's right up there with everybody else, as far as uh, what they would call foundational black Americans. There were many of them that put in work. You know what I'm saying? And I could run down names, but it, it, it doesn't make sense. If you study the history, you'll just, you'll be able to pull those people out and it's it's a wonderful thing. So I just think, you know, I understand when you are, especially if you're put into prison falsely and given felonies and stuff, and it's this relative, that would make me have quite a bit of vitriol. But the thing to always remember is that no matter how angry you get about it, you can't change the fact that it happened. And if you call them out their name, it's not going to make them wake up and say, well, I don't want my, my nephew to call me a coon no more. So I'm a all of a sudden stop being who I am. It's who they are. And you just have to get to a place of accepting who they are 
And then when you're able to that to do that, you can put them in their proper place so that you don't ever put yourself in a vulnerable state for them to manipulate things in a way in which they can checkmate you by charging you with another felony. That's what I would suggest. I mean, I could be wrong, but I'm just saying um, what you want to do is try to always come up with solutions. The problems are going to create PTSD because going to jail is a PTSD, you know, just a, a colon of PTSD. So just remembering that is going to drive your pressure up, stress you out, and agitate any illnesses that you have. And the idea should be long life and health and moving in a direction that's, that's positive because that's what's going to set you up for a better existence and set you up to make better decisions for yourself. The more you brood in anger, it's the easiest way to make the wrong choices, I would say. I'm angry, true, Roz. But I can understand, and I, I can let him slide for what he did to me, but sending your own son to the Fed joint, that boy is never, mm-hmm. ever going to be the same again. He came out with a dope, a dope first with smack, but now he's back in prison because he, when he came back out, he got on meth. Well, black people, when we start using meth, man, so, you know, this Trinidadian woman, I'm not going to get, I've met some good Trinidadian people. You're one of them. Well, I haven't met you, but you you know what I'm talking about. But personally, I have met some 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 good Trinidadian people. This family is not one of them. I'm sorry, and I will not call <laughs> them the name that I have good. been calling them. But you know the the things that she has done and and said is unforgivable, and it's just I I what I saw in that courtroom, and they're from the island. I was like, no wonder, you know, they they get this rap. They come over here. She couldn't wait to get over here because, like, the Myers, they didn't have Myers and Kroger's and Sears and stuff over there. It was this was a mecca to her. But then she she when she got into this family, like I'm the dark one. Everybody else is high yellow. I was ridiculed by this woman, nasty, to the point that. It'll never be the same. And really, that uncle and his family, they're isolated. See, I'm not on the outside looking in because of what he did. And everybody knows what he did, not just to me and and his own son. My uncle was a very important snitch at the hydromatic plant here in town that closed down that a lot of black, white, Latino were busted. These families were busted up, and those men went to prison. He's not really liked, but that that paycheck from the police must really have been nice. But it wasn't enough for him to save the house that my mother sold to him for pennies on the dollar. So that 2,300-square-foot house that he was living in, he lost that when he sent me to prison. And now, him, his Trinidadian wife, his two anchor babies, and now his oldest daughter's Mexican half-black anchor babies because the husband left her and went with the, and married a white woman. Karma, karma, something, ain't it? They're all now in a 422-square-foot apartment renting. That's all I got to say. We gonna right. we gonna have to get and uh, have a conversation with you off the air, uh, Hayes. It's a it's it's quite a few things I heard in that that I'm not going to get into over the air, but uh, we definitely gonna uh, 
we're going to get into that. But thank you for calling, brother. Uh, we appreciate your comments. Next, we have Brother Scott, the creator of Black Talk Radio Network. Welcome, Scotty. How are you doing this evening? Frustrated. How y'all? Still All learning. All right, man. I'm not, I'm not, yeah, still learning. I'm not happy to hear that you're frustrated. I, I, I love for things to go well for you. I could say the same exact thing, though. I, I, I feel you, but let's hear it, sir. Well, I wrote, I wrote some notes, man, on the different topics y'all talked about, but I'm not going to get into all of them. Um, uh, at this time, I'll save some for later since y'all going to be on, um, and I'll have time later. Um, yeah. but I'm, I'm very frustrated. Look, I'm, 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 I appreciate you guys saying all black Christians don't act like that. I was very angered by him saying that this white woman shouldn't go to prison, that he wanted her to live her best life, okay? The re- uh, why that angered me, first it angered me because I know it was going to be a lot of anti-black Christian rhetoric. Right. Let me say this. I'm, I'm 53 years old. I'm a Christian, and I'll whoop your ass if you mistreat me. Okay, it ain't it ain't no forgiveness and all of that. I may forgive you in private in prayer when I'm saying, Lord, forgive me of my sins as I forgive those who have sinned against me. But I'm not in that situation going to be telling somebody who killed my brother that I forgive you and I don't think you should go to prison. That made me angry because it made the rest of us look bad. And then it also causes pain and anger for people, my brothers and sisters, who are not Christians. I, I, I had this conversation with my mom. Mom, you don't understand people are hurting. We understand, we understand, but pe- uh, people who are not Christians don't understand that concept. But nowhere in the Bible do it tell us to go hugging on these people or to say that they ain't supposed to go to prison for their sins and their crimes against us. Matter of fact, I came across a scripture that said if somebody break in your house, you have a right to beat them to death. If the thief break in, you have a right to beat them to death. One key thing y'all touched upon that is very true, and I had a conversation earlier with the brother who holds time for awakening. I said, this is a recent phenomenon. You know, in all my life, ain't never seen a display of black forgiveness like that until these past 10 years or so. And I told him it ain't been a whole lot. I can count maybe three times that I remember in the white in the white people in control of the media make sure that they showcase that them people. And and that's another reason I want them to stop doing it. Stop doing it because number one, it ain't scriptural. Number two, you're hurting other people in the community and causing them angst and frustration. And number three. The enemy is using it against us, okay? And and so I can only count three times that I've seen that on, on, on display on mainstream media, and it's been recent. So I was angry with the young man at first. Then I, start, I stopped being angry at him, and I forgave him, and I started blasting on those who was trying to use his words. 
on our host new abolitionist radio it's a podcast now i did do a live broadcast last week we focus on 21st century slavery and human trafficking 13th amendment never abolished slavery slavery is still legal it's just prison slavery instead of plantation slavery that's what the constitution says that's not what i say that's what they say it in that in that document their supreme document that's what it says. We ain't stop practicing slavery. If we convict you of a crime, then we can subject you to slavery and involuntary servitude. So over the years, I have debated prison abolitionists, not prison slavery abolitionists, prison abolitionists. And I don't like that Angela, what's her name, used to be a panther? Angela Davis. Angela Davis is pushing this prison abolition. She's one of those, but it's really coming from white liberals. They're giving money to people to come out and say that. So this black woman working for the ACLU and a couple of other white-dominated organizations wrote an article titled, Amber Geiger Should Not Go to Prison. And she used that boy's words to, to propagandize to get rid of prisons, okay? And I told her on Twitter, they don't, I don't care if they respond to me or not, but none of them could respond my critique on that. I was like, first of all, this is a young man who's in terrible pain. He, his own his mama said that he, would, he hadn't, wasn't himself since his big brother got killed. She said she was shocked and the rest of the family was shocked by what he did and what he said. And, 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 and so to use that young man's words to further your agenda, look, we don't need prisons. We need rehabilitation centers. We don't need these, these moldy places, you know, just dilapidated buildings with cages in them. No human beings to be subjected to that. Then you expect them to come out better? No, what we need is dormitory type situation with classrooms, where these people can get an education or whatever, or get mental health treatment, which they shouldn't be in there for, just because they're crazy and committed some crime or what. They should be getting help and, and, and getting rehabilitated. But that's not what's happening. They're getting raped in prison. They're getting murdered in prison. And their labor is being contracted, contracted out. So that's why I was angry with what he did. And I'm more angry with white people for exploiting it. This is recent phenomenon. This, if you look back in history, again, I'm 53 years old. You can't tell me back in the 90s, even early 2000s, 90s, 80s, and 70s, which is where my memory stops. I was born in 66. I ain't never seen that kind of display. I've been in a church all my life except for these last 20 years because I left organized religion because I was run out the church because I wouldn't call this man father. I can't remember his last name. I was like, wait a minute, I'm not Catholic. And the Bible say, call no man father, for you only have one father. So what is this man doing in a Protestant church getting people to call him father? I, I, I'm not down with that. I got ridiculed, I got run out, because I'm not a follower. I just don't blindly follow, you know? I, I just don't do So they ran me out, and I haven't been to a church Ever since. Now, I look over the church next door, make sure nobody break in, make sure nobody burn it down and what have you, but I don't go. They invite me, but I'm done with organized religion. 
Okay, I'm done with it. So, so that's why I was angry about that display. And 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 then and the uh, you know I'll say the other for less, but I just want y'all to look at the historical narrative because somebody said on Twitter this is again because of what he did this anti-black Christian narrative. And God bless uh, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, but she ain't always right. Okay, the last time. I think I may have done one of the last interviews of her when she was still alive. And we came into conflict because she was giving wrong information. She said, black men are not being fathers to their children. And I was trying to tell her, well, according to at least three studies, and, a, and the main one by the CDC, is that black fathers are more involved with their children, whether they're in the house or out the house, than any other group. And, and she hung up. Yeah, I remember, um, I remember that. I, I wasn't just going to let her, you know, put out information that I knew to be incorrect. Now, what she said about the, and other people have said about the weaponization of Christianity and like it's being used to keep us passive or or that's what they use to keep people on the plantation. If that was true, there would have been no need for whipping people. There would have been no need for chains. There would have been no need for the slave patrols with guns. And we know we don't get taught the history of the hundreds of rebellions that was going on. Okay, like what I said, it ain't just Nat Turner. It ain't just Denmark Vesey. There were hundreds of rebellions. And, and, and it was the black church that was running the Underground Railroad, helping people to get free. So it just don't, it's not logical to think that a book, just reading these people a book, which my mom told me at an early age that they identified with the Hebrews in the Bible because they was enslaved too. But that don't mean that they was waiting on God to come set them free. They was doing things to set themselves free, sabotaging stuff on the plantation so people didn't have to work, uh, singing songs to tell people how to escape, and then rising up in violent rebellion and the greatest rebellion of all was the civil war they ain't even want black folks to even fight in it because they ain't want black folks killing white folks but then when lincoln with his race itself was losing he was like oh man if i'm gonna say this union i gotta let these black people fight and we came in and we won the war and 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 when you look at people like frederick Douglass, uh, a christian you look at people like martin delaney the father of black nationalism, he was a Christian, and and he was like, these people ain't gonna never stop racism, practicing racism. I'm getting out of here, you know. And then Marcus Garvey followed his lead, and he was a Christian. He was, we're gonna get out of here. So this narrative that it that Christianity is making us passive is a lie. If you want to know, like I was telling Elliot in our conversation, he was telling me all this, and I was like, look. You wasn't alive back then to even say what Christians thought in, in general or, or black slaves who had been converted to Christianity or the people in the black. You wasn't alive. You ain't take no survey. And I was like, did you ever read a slave narrative? That's what they call them. I hate calling them slaves because they were victims. But that's what they call it, slave narratives. Have y'all ever read a slave narrative where the victims was talking about I forgive Massa and he know not what he do and, and all that kind of stuff? You don't see, you don't find no black kids like that. You, you don't. So 
our biggest problem uh, is everybody's biggest problem, not just our biggest problem, is we don't always have the correct information, and we don't talk to each other. And, and Ross, you know, and I relate that to what was just brought up about ADOS in, in continental, you know, African-Americans that was born right here. They're using, it's the same thing. They're using one or two or three Nigerians who have said something bad about African-Americans and how we think and whatnot, and they highlight those few continental Africans to then say all of them are our enemies or all of them is this way or that way. That's what ADOS is doing. And, and I was having a conversation with someone about uh, Pan-Africanism and why they talking trash about Pan-Africanism and, and all this and that. And I, and I shared in that thread the interview I did with you, Ross. And, 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 oh, wow. and they told me, thank you for sharing that interview. You gained a new listener. Because, see, when, when ADOS ever, ever interviewed somebody with those outside of the United States roots, to find out what they really think. Did they commission a poll or a survey in Africa or something to tell you what every African thinks? So I'm just saying we have to be careful about believing everything that we hear just because we may respect the person. You, you know, and I, I, I hear, you know, people on our network, double check what I say. Don't believe it just because I'm telling you. Check the facts yourself because that's the best way to, to ascertain the facts. Do your own research. I'm pointing you in the right direction, and I'm giving you some information, but it's up to you to verify it. And and I'll say the rest for later after other people speak. Wow. Thank you, uh, Brother Scotty. I appreciate your input. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Um, yeah, I just, I just, I've always said it. I just think there's way too much dissension. And just to chime in about uh, Dr. Wilson, yeah, there's times when she did put out some misinformation. I mean, she's human. Um, that's something that just comes with being human and sometimes being able to admit those things. And for, for some folks, it's hard. You know, I remember one time she talked about black male effeminization and the fact that black men wear earrings. And that night I didn't get to chime in, but I was going to chime in and, and tell her, like, black people all over the African continent wore earrings. That's that's a known fact. You look at King Tut, he had both both of his ears bored, had holes bored in them for earrings. His earrings were in the Cairo Museum and, and a couple other museums, they have some of his um his artifacts there. And I know for a fact, um, I have some, some Ethiopian ancestry in my family, and in Ethiopia, uh, when you are a valiant soldier or warrior, they actually put an earring in your left ear. That's that's where wearing the earring in the left ear comes from. Um, so either it was the left ear or both ears. Um, I don't know of any group that just wore in the right ear, but I know that I know. I didn't. I, I didn't know that, that Ross, because all yeah, I know yeah. is that my that I was taught that if you're gonna wear an earring, you gotta wear it in the left. But they never told me why. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what it is. Matter of fact, it's in um Haile Selassie has a two two volume uh, autobiography that I bought when I was a teenager, and I was reading it, and I came across it in that book, and they were, they were talking about the the the, the Rosses, who were pretty much um the, the name means head, as in head of something or the 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 
the, the ruler, and they ruled provinces. So these Rasas, when they would get them together to go to war, some of them were really great generals, including Haile Selassie's father. His name was Ras Machinus. And um, when they would come back from war, especially if they were great strategists and they got a lot of work done in the war, they would give them, it's almost like getting a purple heart. So the equivalent to the purple heart would be that earring in your left ear. Okay. If you saw that, you right know you would there. deal with somebody of rank. Right um, there. Great. Right there is a great stopping point. We don't want to dive off a too far over there. Uh, you are right. <laughs> you are right, uh, Brother Scotty, as far as the reason that was picked, though, was because all of the information afterwards is a, a direct result of how a lot of us act with those uh, with that forgiveness tactics. Uh, yes, she was wrong to, uh, to label it as a Christian trait, but the, uh, the symptoms are still there. And some of these folks are not Christian at all just black people forgiving white people uh like you stated and just in the last 10 years because i know when i was growing up there was no forgiveness uh there was fights and sometimes murders as uh as a result of police murders and what have you uh, it was certain places that the white police couldn't come like all of this stuff like you stated is a new uh is a very recent trend and but we wanted to add that in, though, specifically because of that uh, that new trend trait that you were speaking of, that forgiveness. But yes, yeah, she was uh, she was wrong for categorizing it as a Christian trait. But but like I said, that last part is something that we have to pay attention to. And similar to what Hayes had going on, as far as these are individual traits that you have to watch for. We can't we can't blanket all everyone with it, but you have to watch for that. Uh, but it's eleven thirty, almost eleven thirty. Excuse me. We're gonna start getting back for those of you who do have uh, things you want to add for the clips that we uh, played. Let's get into that part before we get ready to shut this down. All right. Go. Oh, my fault. Go ahead, Ross. Oh no, I was just gonna say, um uh Don, I I just lost my train of thought, but one of the things I wanted to talk about was um the the John Jackson clip and he was talking about um the fact that Africans had civilized Europe two times. Um it wasn't the other way around. I thought um it was interesting he dropped a lot of great information there because he was bringing up and he was like one of the main elders that started the um ASCAC and and first world alliance with Dr. Ben and them back in the days when I was really young. And I liked the fact that he was actually talking about the misinformation where they had this theory of what they call the white Hamites. So these were all pretty much now Valley East African people that white people classified as white using the story of Ham in the Bible. And um pretty much like he said, they would be like blue black. And white people will call them white, but yet when you go and you see these people, they're darker than the people in West Africa who are technically classified as Negroes. So I thought that that was really interesting just as far as the, the right there, he was talking in like the, the 80s. And you're able to see that the misinformation coming from these other people, the colonizer, was as such that he had to explain that. 
um, and I found it quite telling. Also, I like the fact that he brought up the fact that the earth was round and that our ancestors knew that during the pyramid age. And today, one of the greatest forms of disinformation and distraction is the whole flat earth thing. And I, and I was, I, I laughed it off at first. I said, I don't believe people are actually like arguing this. I mean, like <laughs> this makes no sense to me. And I remember, um, I remember that it was uh, Jabari. He had done a, a show with, uh, with Sarnetta where he had went back and, and traced the origin of the flat earth and the, and the ADOS, not ADOS movement, the Aboriginal movement being propagated at the same time. Um, all, all around that same exact time is when all these ideologies started coming that created all this dissension amongst black folks. And, and um, he also tied it into Russian influence. I remember he did a great, and he was bringing out all this, these different news clips, and he was showing this information and showing, like, wow, people are able to infuse misinformation, which is something we've done shows about um, with uh, Russian, Russian spies and Russian uh, KGB agents who actually talk about the fact that the way Russia does things, they do things over like a 20, 30, 40 year period. And you just see a slow shift of the entire society in a certain direction that Russia is orchestrating via misinformation and disinformation. And nobody's any the wiser about it, but it's all done through news and misinformation through news and propaganda. And it just really goes to show, like you look back at that particular time in the eighties, these things were just understood. And today, all of these things that were once understood are now being questioned and people are putting out tons of crazy misinformation to cause mass confusion. So um, it's almost like when I hear people say, uh, they'll talk about, you know, Aboriginal Americans and say all of this stuff about, you know, that's not really totally correct. Some of it's correct, but not all of it's correct about their origins. And you'll look at black people who lived in the 1700s, 1600s, who call themselves African. And these are people who would know who they are because they either were kidnapped during that time or they were descendants of people who were kidnapped very recent to that time. So they knew that where they came from. And all of a sudden, these people are aboriginal. <laughs> it, it's, 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 it's interesting to me just to see the shift in where information went just from that clip and what he talked about to our understanding today and all of the confusion that's going on. So I just wanted to point that out. Um, was there anything you wanted to chime in with on any of the clips that um, I missed or just to add, uh, just to add to what you were saying. And then we'll let, I would like to, uh, if, uh, excuse me, I, I can't even, uh, I can't, I forgot my man name. Who's that? Hayes? No, uh, we back to, uh, I get him here in a second. Cujo. Cujo. I couldn't. Yeah. Oh, Cujo. My bad. Okay. We can get back to Cujo. My apologies, Cujo. No worries. But uh, I want to get on back to Cujo and then, yes, get, because Scotty had some stuff he wanted to add, but as he stated, he was frustrated and I'm glad he uh, got that out. Yeah, me too. And I think he probably got his thoughts collected. So later on, when we circle back to him, he should be good to go with the other yeah. information you wanted to discuss. So go ahead. But uh, that right there, the the earth being round and the Aboriginal stuff, I, you're right. I, I think that goes back to the last video. I can't, I keep forgetting this man's names. I'm, I'm forgetting everybody's name tonight. But, you know, letting black, letting black people grow up but not mature. 
Oh, Earl these, Grant. That's, these are yeah, all uh, symptoms that we're facing. And once again, that's why I started this uh this this show, just so we could rediscover those things that we don't know. It's a lot of us that's learning these things so late in life. Like these are things that I'm enjoying watching my children be aware of and just seeing the development of dealing with other children as well as other adults strangers teachers because i'm in a particular situation where my children have to go to school so them knowing this type of information and watching them develop why they have to interact with these uh suspected races is beautiful but then it's bittersweet because sometimes i had to interact with uh adults who are still not aware of this and it's it's a constant learning process for me as well as for those that I run into because you you find out that not only is it just the information of the history but just uh etiquette and how to deal with people and so you know I love our audience and and just different perspectives are great but I'm not gonna run too much on that uh brother Cujo uh we have made it back around to you sir uh with everything that's said can you remember if me and Rise answered your question and what else did you have on the rest of the clips? Uh, the, the only thing um, I was going to ask you guys about when I kind of stated, but was, is really the fact that in all of this with the Amber Gaga situation, um, the really Jean's situation, I should really call it that. And that's one of the things that I'm trying to bring up is just that she's the focus, you know, um, the, the 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 family I I can understand the family and us being upset about the situation that happened, but we completely took focus off the fact that there's another black man that's dead, and what can we do to prevent it? And that's the thing that I, I it's only because I'm still I'm still reading the man not right now I'm like on the last chapter, but it's because I'm reading this book I keep I keep seeing and noticing how we undervalue ourselves over and over and over again as black men. And the reality is we're like one of the most valuable resources on the planet. And I'm not saying that because I am a black man. It's just what it is. And at this point in junction, I think we, we got to start like keeping these, these brothers that lost that are lost to the system of white supremacy in, in mind. And I'm not just talking about violent deaths. I'm talking about people that, even eat improperly and die and, you know, out become alcoholics because the system has beat them down so much. Cause I see it on the streets all the time, you know? So it, it, that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you guys about is that what, like, how do you feel about that? The fact that it's like the focus has been completely removed and it's on her and it was seen in the courtroom as well, you know? And that's why I kind of wanted to hear some, you, you, your opinions on that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I had uh, spoke a little bit to that as far as, uh, you know, like you stated, it's it's completely off of him and her uh, because she didn't get her time. But yes, we, it's a lot that's being worried about her. And that's where all the energy is at. what she'll be doing in the next few years and how she'll be. It's like they already getting ready for her release. And, once again, we keep attacking the the brother and the uh, the judge 
the bailiff, all of them done something tremendously horrible for us. But nobody's like you stated, they just left left him dead. He he has no there's no consequence, it seems like. I hadn't even really thought about that as well. So you you have sparked my mind on that part. Yeah. I I I gotta tell you one of the things um that we uh we it was brought up over the the call compensatory calling with Gus, but it's it's the same theme that we're talking about right now, which is just speaking about and, and this gives us a good understanding, right? Because really what a lot of uh, the the show today was excellent as far as being informative as far as protecting yourselves and, and other measures to not be traced and tracked in certain aspects. But just think about the fact that these conversations are actually dangerous. Like, just think about it. I mean, and 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 that's the thing. Yeah. Like, the the brother, the brother that 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 the witness that was shot, he's just shot because he spoke up. He didn't even kill nobody. He didn't hurt nobody. He didn't come after the police force. I mean, you could we can go on and on about black men, predominantly again black men. And I'm not taking anything away from the sisters, but predominantly black men that are constantly every time we speak up, bow. There's just no escaping it. And we have to deal with this fact because it does breed a sense of fear, either consciously or subconsciously. And we, we have to be courageous. Just, again, I, I, agree with, I agree with Dr. Nelly Fuller where he says just speaking about racism, white supremacy, is counter racism, white supremacy. And I, I completely understand why he says that every time we have these conversations because this always comes up. You know the the just the possibility of something happening, you know. But that being said, I'll, I'll mute my line. Thank you, brother. No, no, no thank problem. You. I wanted to um to speak to that as well. Um, when you read books like The Delectable Negro, it really shows you how white people consume black people. Part of that consumption is with the murder of black people, and also that they're they're attention whores and energy vampires. And what you saw was a switcheroo. Amber Geiger became an energy vampire in that situation. And I've always said that when you look at racism, white supremacy, it is a, a combination of three functional mental illnesses. And when I say that, I mean they're born with this defect if they, if they are indoctrinated with, with that way of life as far as being racist, white supremacist. It's psychopathy, sociopathy, and severe narcissism coupled with a innate fear of genetic annihilation. So what you saw was narcissism. It was all about Amber, not the person who she right. murdered. And right. all of the energy she was sucking up through all these hugs and the petting and combing of her hair and the brother latching on to her like he did with such a warm embrace and her being hugged by the judge, that was all energy sucking, all going on right there in that moment. And we don't realize that this system was also built with a spiritual system that goes in tandem with it. That's why when Neely Fuller said the greatest religion on the planet is the religion of white supremacy, that's what you saw. And when you see these people, whether they're Christian or not, and they're forgiving, 
That's white supremacy. Right. You got to remember some of our ancestors were actually beaten and told to forgive Massa while he was being beaten or she was being beaten. So that's also a part of the psychological trauma process that creates Stockholm syndrome. And we don't necessarily understand the psycho machinations of the people who dominate us and the different genius ways they have of keeping control. They have taught us that everything about ourselves is evil, incorrect, and wrong. But everything that we do, that we did, that they demonize is exactly what they practice. They just do it in ways that are unbeknownst to us in plain sight. So they tell you ancestral worship is devil worship, but their ancestors are on all the dollars. All of the streets are named after their ancestors. Some of the states are named after their ancestors. Some of the lakes are named after their ancestors. That's all ancestral veneration happening all around you. If you live on Washington Avenue, you're paying ode to George Washington. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? But yet they tell you if you practice ancestral veneration as a black person, you're practicing voodoo and hoodoo and, and devil worship and, you know, Satan hates you, you know, Satan loves you and, and, and Jesus hates you or God hates you because you're practicing this devil worship. So it's all about the, the psychology of domination. And they're so, they've been doing it so long that it's, it's, it's down to, they have it down to a science. And we're the ones who don't really understand the different ways that this victimizes us and keeps us from being able to coalesce around solving problems. Right now, I think one of the biggest things that is preventing our ability to coalesce around solving problems is misinformation and specifically misinformation being provided by black people to other black people. Stuff that white people do is expected. And if you do research, you'll be able to pick up on the incorrectness of those things. A lot of us are really disarmed. If it's somebody, like I said, it's a cult of personality, whoever is the most liked and has the most followers and and all that type of stuff, these people can say anything, and it's like they do no wrong. Nobody's going to ever research what they're talking about for themselves to really get an understanding. They just go with what they say because it coincides. It's confirmation bias. It coincides with they already have a predisposed belief about a subject. It goes into that. So they suck it up, and then it's just it's a dopamine rush. You're hearing what you like. You get high off of that. You go back for more, and you just keep that cycle going, and all of a sudden you find yourself saying the same hateful things that person was saying, even though the thing they're saying is historically inaccurate and actually quite um, quite detrimental to black people coming together the way that we're supposed to to get things done. Right. It, you know, so that that's what I wanted to say to, to that whole scenario. Um, I just think that there's just a lot of work to be done by individuals. Like, like the last week's show and the last three, pretty much three shows, it starts in the home. But a lot of people don't take their free time and dedicate it to doing constructive things like just saying, I'm going to study something. Okay, I might be Christian. I want to study the origin of the Christianity I practice. Nobody thinks about that. I mean, I'm sure some people do, but the average person doesn't. They just live their lives every day and follow whatever routine that they've been given in regards to the way that they choose to live their life, which is fine. But, you know, routines sometimes need to be broken. And a lot of us don't take the time to say, let me break out of this mold and try something new. And it doesn't have to be something drastic like bungee jumping or anything. Just learn something new. Just say, hey, I'm going to learn something new about something I didn't know about. You might choose to, to do that with the religion you practice. 
You might choose to do that by delving into to, to esoteric things that you never really paid attention to before. You might have a specific subject that you've been interested in, but you never went to school for, but you really want to know about it. In this age, you can find out about anything. If you really want to find out about it, you just have to actually know where to, to get viable sources that you can vet and figure out if it's really something that's authentically telling you factual information or if it's somebody else's confirmation bias backed by some wacky sources. Because sometimes you'll have people cite sources and they'll say this is where they got this information and then you go read one of those sources and the book says the complete opposite of what that person wrote in their piece. But they thought they legitimize it by taking a legitimate source and putting it there. So this stuff happens all the time. It's just about really, if you if you know history well enough, then when you come in contact with certain bits of this misinformation, you'll be able to discern that it's misinformation early. If you've never come in contact with that information and it's something brand new, that's when the research engine should kick in and say, yo, let me look into this a little bit further. And then you might find out the person was actually correct and it was, there was actually a deeper context to it than what that person presented, but they were on the right track. Or you might find out they're partially correct or you might find out they're totally incorrect. But it's just all about your own curiosity and wanting to be accurate as far as just what you decide to partake in. Remember, you are what you eat, literally, and you are what you partake of mentally. It's a, it's a symbiotic kind of situation. You, your mind becomes what you feed it, like the body becomes what you feed it. So if you feed the body trash, it's going to break down eventually, and you're going to have all kinds of health problems because you're eating trash. So you're going to get trash out, trash in, trash out. And it's the same thing with the mind. If you're not feeding it wholesome, holistic things, um, you know, you're going to get not too much good out of it. And if you look at the best of our people, these were people who made striving for excellence in their knowledge, wisdom, and understanding the utmost of the utmost importance. And you can see it in the way that they're revered many, many years after they passed away or been assassinated. We revere these people because they put in the work on a personal level and then they did the work in a public level. And all we need to do is just take little examples from the best of our people, you know, and it's a personal ambition kind of thing. I just happen to be lucky to be born at a certain time, you know, in America by parents who relocated and were, you know, the ancestors saw fit to put me in contact with some extremely incredible human beings that have etched their, their way into the annals of history when it comes to people of African descent. And I was able to sit at their feet. I lucked up in that regard. I can thank my ancestors for that, but um, and the creator. And um, not everybody has that opportunity. So I don't ever, you know, like I said, I'm an eternal student. And I think if everybody took that approach and then whatever information they learned, like Jenna talked about earlier, the greatest thing you could do is pass it on. Before you pass it on, make sure you have it down pat and it's correct. And then you pass it on. That's the greatest thing. But, our ancestors used to say when an elder dies, it's like a library dies. So you want to get as much out of that library as possible before they leave so that you can apply that to your life and pass it on to people. That's what culture is. As far as I'm concerned, that is what working culture looks like. When a living organism takes wisdom that it has attained about where it lives and how to survive in that environment, and they pass that on to their offspring, which makes their offspring's lives a lot easier than their lives because they had to learn by trial and error. 
their offspring learn from their errors so that they don't make those errors, which makes them better. It makes less trials and tribulations for them, and they can apply their minds towards doing more genius things down the road to pass those things on, as well as what they learn from their parents on to their descendants. You see it with chimpanzees. You see it with dolphins. You see it with elephants. You see it with ravens and crows, which ravens are the smartest birds in the world. They're as smart as a six-year-old. So a six-year-old human. So understand that culture is being able to take life-saving life information that you've attained, and it's become a, a part of your comprehensive uh, wisdom, and you instate that in someone else to help them avoid the traps that you were unable to avoid potentially or that you have avoided, but it was more accidental rather than deliberate, and then you mm -hmm. give them the information so they can deliberately avoid those obstacles. A lot of us don't have that. That's not the average black person's family situation. So we have to create those things, and it starts with parent to child. And then what they'll remember is that, hey, this is the way my parents raised me, and I'm going to take the best of what my parents did with me and pass it on. So then that becomes a trait that's innate in your particular branch of the family tree. You might have other relatives you could talk to, and they start instating it. You know, they see the wisdom in it, and they start doing the same thing. If they don't, then you know that at least your genetic branch of the family tree is developing in a way that's constructive. And if you set that foundation, it'll be intergenerational. I just want to use this for example. Like um, just the other day, we came across a whole bunch of monarch butterflies and a couple of other species of butterflies. I haven't been seeing them for years, and it made me think about climate change. But I saw a couple monarch butterflies. And I was telling my wife, I said, you know that they start in Mexico and they travel to, to the U.S. and Canada during the summer times up here. And then when it turns to fall and winter, they return back to Mexico. But the butterflies that leave Mexico in the first place are not the same ones that return. They die along the way. So from Mexico to Canada, there's three generations of moths that are that are. I mean, butterflies that are birthed along that way. And each one is genetically programmed with its leg of the trip. So it never gets confused and goes back to Mexico when it knows it's supposed to go to Canada. It knows exactly where it's going from the time it's born. It's in its DNA. So you have one that might fly to Mexico, let's say lower Mexico, all the way up to Texas, and it dies. But before it died, it laid eggs. And then those eggs are born. It'll go from Mexico to, let's say, Chicago. <laughs> and then from Chicago into Canada. And and each time, it's it's a different actual generation because they're dying along the way, but they're genetically programmed knowing where to go. And when it's time for the fall and winter to start here, they make the return trip down to Mexico. And that's exactly what you're doing when you start these trends in your family, these codes and, the, and these uh, different ways of life. You're passing it on and it becomes a genetic expression over time. If you instill education, they're going to be self-educating people. You might have a family library and over time generations add to that library. So your family can actually go to a place where they own the books and actually read, and they might help the neighborhood by supplying some of the children. If you have, you know, local homeschooling groups in your area, they might come to your library and want to borrow a book for, to use for their class. These are the sorts of things we can start just by changing the trajectory of the way we think and act with and amongst each other. But that comes with seeing the value in other black people and being able to create bonds of trust and with other black people and bonds of education. If you see people coming from another country, try and school them for what they're walking into. Immigrants are walking into a fight they don't even know the real true story about. So it's up to the people who are hosting them to tell them. When somebody comes to your house, don't you tell them what the rules are? Don't you tell them where they can, hey, you got to leave your shoes at the door if that's the custom in your household? 
or you only are able to go into this room and not the other room, you have rules. So when people are coming in, try to be friendly and, and just break it down. Look, this is what we've been through, and they'll probably tell you, this is what I'm coming from. This is what's happening in my country that drove me to come here. And you make those inroads, and with those understandings, we can build something new with each other. And instead of it being this false set of animosity that shouldn't exist, it becomes a mutual respect. And all those other immigrants, African and Caribbean, that came here, whether it was Dr. Ben, Sheikh Answer Joke, both Africans, you know, Kwame Ture from the islands, um, Martin Delaney from the islands, Edward Mil- Wilmot Blyden from the islands, um, Marcus Garvey from the islands, we can all get together and be on the same trajectory. When you see that there's problems between us, go ahead, go ahead, Scotty. I'm gonna shut it down there. Go ahead, Scotty. Oh no, I, I thought I had muted myself. I ain't mean to cut you off. I don't know how much time I got. Go ahead and finish. Oh yeah, I'll just say I'll just end it. I'll just end it here. Pretty much that that when you see whatever the colonizer tells you you should not be doing, you should be doing the exact opposite. And the biggest thing that yeah. they tell us we should not be doing is unifying with the black people. So that should be the thing that we're running to, like a fish runs to water or a human runs to oxygen. With that, I'll, I'll shut my mouth and go ahead, Brother Scotty. Yeah. Hey, Ross, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Martin Delaney was from Africa unless he was born here. Because it seemed like I remember, maybe I got him confused with somebody else, but his mother was actually royalty from one of the kingdoms in Africa, and then when she came here, they tried to put her and her children into slavery, and she went to court and won her freedom based on, hey, I came here of my own free will from Africa, and they were actually poor. If, if, I, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. It's um, actually, I, he was born in West Virginia, I'm seeing here. Um, okay. Yeah, and they're, they're saying he was born in um, yeah, it might be his parents. And they Africa. said he's the one who came up with the phrase that Marcus Garvey made famous, um, Africa for the Africans. Yeah, he, I wrote an article about him being the father of black nationalism and not Garvey. Um, but, yeah, but Pan-Africanism, I, I, well, too. Yeah. Him and Blyden. Yeah, Pan-Africanism. Because he established a colony in, was it Sierra Leone or, or was it a different? But he it actually been, did... Oh, I'm sorry, I was going to say it might have been Liberia because his paternal ancestors were from Liberia. But I know he was this. one of the who actually did go over there and stay. I think he was somewhere else because white people established Liberia, man. You know, um, the people that wanted to leave after the Civil War, that's where they sent them. Um, white okay, people. Okay, because they, <laughs> oh, okay, they said his paternal ancestry was from Liberia and his yeah. mother's ancestry was from West Africa, the, the Niger Valley. He, she was of Mandinka descent, so both of his parents were yeah, actually. Mandinka. Mandinka, yeah. yeah, that's where she was yeah. from. But um, I actually did, and, and the only reason, and Ross, you might have called into that program. I actually did do a program. It was like two hours long on the African roots of Christianity. Yeah, I, I was in. definitely in on that. Yeah, I was definitely on that one. We had a, it was a powerful discussion. Yes, 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 yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so I'm gonna just say this. I mentioned black male Christians that we all know. And that's because I'm a male, and often we look at our same gender as, in terms of heroes, but I did not mean to leave out any of our black warrior sisters, like Sojourner Truth, also a Christian, 
And everybody know Harriet Tubman walked around with a gun in her belt. And if she was helping you get free and you got scared like you was going to go back, she threatened to shoot you. And then she also led uh, uh, soldiers in raiding a plantation and setting people free. Harriet Tubman was no joke, man. People don't know how she was. She was in a con. Yeah, she was in a con, too. But I, I, I uh, but I digress from that. Um, real quick, I want to talk about black self respect in hip hop today, because yeah. uh, Francis Cress Welsey, you know why I disagree with her, and I think the facts show she was incorrect on some things, but there was a lot that she uh-huh. shared that was true, and she was part. I don't. The woman's name, the black woman's name, was C. Dolores Tucker, I believe, was her name. And this was at the birth of gangster rap. And C. Dolores Tucker and the Congress of Black Women held press conferences. And I found a video, and Dr. Francis Cress Welsing was in the audience at this press conference in agreement with what the mission of they, those ladies were for. And I attribute to the lack of black self-respect today being widespread is through the co-option of hip-hop and the perversion of hip-hop by white people in promoting a negative version of it. And that's all that infiltrates the airways today or permeates the airways today. I saw something trending called lockdown on Twitter. And I was like, what are they talking about lockdown or, or whatnot? So I seen a couple of tweets, and it was apparently it was a hip-hop festival, a rap battle, or something that was going on in Philadelphia. So people were posting the lyrics of what, or, 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 the, uh, or the verses of what some people was rapping. It was a total demonstration and a lack of black self-respect. Kill that nigga. Uh, uh, what was one of them? Um, I graduated from drive-bys. Now I'm doing pull-ups. I'm potty training. So for those that don't don't know how to interpret that, oh, I'm not doing drive-by shootings no more. I'm pulling up and shooting you, shooting niggas. Okay. To me, that is the problem. Of why one of the problems? It's not the sole problem, but the but the saturation of the airways and the saturation of our culture with that kind of rap that disrespects women that disrespects ourselves as men, that devalues black life, and on and on and on. This is mainstream. They give people they give people music awards for this type of stuff or image awards for this type yep. of stuff. Okay? Raunchy, raunchy images. You know what I'm saying? As raunchy as Nicki Minaj is, she got an NAACP image award. Okay? And, and other people with a raunchy ratchet persona. Okay? So mm-hmm. um, Malcolm said that media is the most powerful entity on the face of the planet. It controls the minds of the masses, and it can make the innocent look guilty and make the guilty look innocent. Hip-hop has made, and, and I'm I'm quoting, man, it's one of the brothers from X-Clan. I can't remember. Paradise Gray. And he, he said, hip-hop has made black people an enemy of black people. Okay, and yeah. and so I, I I think there's a lot of truth to that, and then that also goes to Josh Brown, and when the caller was describing his Instagram, 
and him posting all the stuff that we see young people posting today, disrespecting themselves or putting their business out there on the street and posting all that cash. So this is a story. I, I did a video. I don't know if people saw it. This story impacted me heavily, uh, his, his murder. I was more impacted by his murder than Boston John's, okay? And, and, and I was like, you know, because when I looked at him, because he's closer to my skin tone, and he looks like some of my family members, and his age around the same as my daughter's, I was like, that could have been my son, because I don't have no sons. I only got daughters. I got grandsons, but I only have daughters. And I was looking at that. That could have been my son. That's remember, remember, remember uh, Obama talking about Trayvon Martin yep. coming out. That could have been my son, and yeah. but not in the way that he was saying it. But I felt that about Joshua Brown. This could have been my son. Okay, so yeah. I have been following it closely, trying to ascertain the facts from the fiction. So this is what I've been able to glean since he's been murdered. He was not shot in the mouth. He was shot twice. The autopsy from what is being said is he was shot twice in the torso. Uh, one of the bullets lodged near his spine. He was, so, so he was shot uh, in the torso. Um, it was, he was not shot in the mouth. I don't know where that came from, and it came out too quick. Information. Thanks for that clarification. Go ahead, brother. Yeah, thank you for that. People been saying, why would a drug dealer, if they say he a drug dealer, even if he was, so what? I didn't build drugs because I had to. I felt like I had to. I was in between jobs. and A lot of us do it. I ain't never sell no crack, but I sold weed because weed good for you, okay? It has many medicinal benefits, but I was not going to sell no crack, okay? I, I never sold crack, but I used to sell weed in the time of need to make some extra dollars so I didn't get put out on the streets when I had an apartment in Charlotte and lost the job unexpectedly and had no savings. So I don't judge people because they do what they have to do on this street market. The way this system is set up, it forces us to do those types of things. So, so that's nothing bad on him. But, okay, I, and I'm not defending the police. I don't trust the police. I call them slave catchers. People start calling them slave catchers because I started calling them slave catchers on New yeah. Abolitionist Radio. I just want to ascertain the facts. Okay, I wanted whoever killed him to be caught, whether they've been a white supremacist who saw him on TV and said, oh, man, you didn't got this white girl put in prison. I'm going to hunt you down, Negro, and kill you. Or whether it was the police, oh, you didn't got my girlfriend, my side piece, my former partner killed. And then, or whether it was what we rap and sing about and turn on our radios or pop a CD in uh, about killing N-words. So, this difference in this information about some of the facts surrounding his his life. He was a witness to another murder and had been shot last year. Um, a reporter from that area shared the police report. Joshua and, and a couple of his friends went to a strip club, ran into some other dudes that they knew. One of the dudes had personal beef with Joshua and wanted to fight Joshua. They started fighting in the middle of the street. Uh, I think Joshua must have won because why else would the uh, dude's friend give him a gun as Joshua and them was trying to leave and then the dude just started shooting at him. Joshua's yeah. friend was killed. Joshua was shot in the foot. He is listed as a witness on that police report. It, it happened last year in November. 
of 2018. So then I'm thinking, okay, they ain't never catch the shooter. They just got the one who gave him the gun. They ain't find the dude named Ghostin who did the shooting. So I was like, well, maybe he he saw him on TV and, oh, that's where you live. I'm going to kill you. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And so, so then, next thing I know, Lee Merritt, the attorney for the Baltimore John family, is saying, that somebody posted on 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 um, Joshua's face, not Facebook. He didn't indicate which social platform it was, but he said somebody posted. Now we know where to find you, and then they deleted it. Okay, and then so the merit they got one person in custody said it was three people who drove from Louisiana to Texas, and that and that. One of them's in custody and that they are the ones that shot Joshua Brown. Now, some people was like saying, well, that don't make, again, I'm not trying to prove their narrative. I'm trying to get us to just logically about what's been said and separate fact from fiction. So some Mm -hmm. people to shoot from that story said, why would people drive hundreds of miles to buy drugs? And I'm like, wait a minute, Ray. Wait a minute, Zelina Maxwell, mainstream media pundits. Have y'all ever dealt drugs? Have y'all ever been about that life? Have y'all ever engaged in that? Because I know, and I and I know people who drove hundreds of miles to get drugs. Okay, and then a person posted on my Facebook when I was saying, "Look, let's scrutinize what they're saying, but let's not go down rabbit holes because it don't, you, you know, because." We don't want to believe this, that, or the other. Let's let's see if there's any truth. So this guy from Louisiana told me that his mother was a drug dealer and that drug dealers drive from Louisiana to rural part because it's very rural, and they drive to Texas to the cities to buy, to buy drugs and then go back to Louisiana and sell it for three times. It's worth three times what it is in, in Texas. Okay, I did an interview with a New Jersey weed man years ago. He had just been arrested um, on, on, he got caught with pounds of weed in his trunk and he was uh, representing himself in the case and arguing I need it for medicinal purposes, which he really did. He had like some yeah, type of cancer. bone or, or, or something. And so- yeah, I believe it so is bone cancer. Yeah, and he used to live in California. So he told me, I had the hookup with Mexicans in California, and that's where I, I would drive all the way across country to buy pounds. I wasn't buying no ounces or nothing like that. I was buying pounds, so he had the hookup. Okay? Right. Um, I was about to say something I shouldn't say, but let me put it this way. I had some family members this year drive to Colorado because they got a family, another family member that I'm not related to in Colorado to, to buy edibles boxes of edibles y'all know what edibles is right yeah mm-hmm. and and they brought it they drove to colorado got boxes about four boxes of edibles and brought them back here to sell in north carolina so so you know these people saying that oh nobody would do that and somebody tried to clown me on it and i'm like look i ain't trying to say the police didn't do it or 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 whatever i'm just trying right. to say if you saying that nobody drives hundreds of miles to get drugs, you're wrong because I know people who do that. Okay? And so let's not, 
that rabbit hole. Let's try to find another hole in this story because you wrong on that one. So so that mm-hmm. that was my intent. And Joshua didn't want to testify. People were saying, why yeah. would a drug dealer testify? And he wasn't a, I don't like calling him no drug dealer. Why would a young man out there trying to survive the best way he, he knew how? Why would he testify knowing he was doing this in a murder trial? Well, according to the attorney, he was blaming the judge for forcing, forcing the young man to testify. And I did a video on he said that he was afraid of being killed by cops and other people in the community. And so they forced him to test. You know, they got this thing called material witness, right? Right, yes. Got some information. And look, he didn't see nothing. He heard. He heard what happened. He didn't actually see her shoot nobody. Okay, he just heard. So he was the ear witness more than he was an eyewitness. But he did see her after the fact on the phone and looking through the peephole and all of that. So I'm just saying, and y'all said earlier, we got to wait till all the information comes out. We in the first 48, what, 36 hours? We got to wait for all the information. But I pray that whoever did kill this young man is, is, is prosecuted and convicted. Okay, be they black, white, cop, whatever. I, I, I just don't care. And, and so that also goes to black self-respect in hip hop. This is this that exact scenario is is they're making millions of dollars and getting awards for saints for rapping about that exact same scenario in rap music. And do they not? You are so, absolutely correct. They made so, millions of dollars know. to call each other N-words. Um, matter of fact, we played a clip, this was a couple months ago, with um, music label executives, record label executives. It was a short documentary, and they were talking about the fact that when they started doing the private prisons, this was in the 90s, that they had a meeting with the, the, the government, had meetings with uh, record label executives, and they told them that they were starting the private prisons. They told them that they needed bodies to fill the beds that they were creating and the way to do that was to facilitate and create gangster rap and the Mm -hmm. guy he said that they were all white people in the room and when they heard this government official say this they gasped and some of them actually asked him what about the lives of these people like these are human beings they said listen we will give you first dibs on stock and these stock options in these private prisons but we need bodies to fill fill these these beds and the way to do so is to have gangster rap propagated so that people act out these things, the young people will act this stuff out, and we have bodies to put in the beds. So this was a mm-hmm. guy actually just telling. <laughs> so this was this was planned. Now that judge, mm-hmm. that judge, let me enter this into the evidence. That mm-hmm. black judge, I believe, was trying to buy votes because she was yeah. endorsed by the police union. So her and the chief, her and the chief are sisters in a fraternity. I mean, sorority as well. They show pictures of them together. It was um, I think it was uh Roland Martin, not Roland Martin, uh uh, uh Boyce Watkins who did a whole video with them showing them together making um for, uh, sorority. They were sorority sisters. This police chief and the judge in this case, and he was making a connection between her hugging her and all of this stuff. Um, Amber guiding yeah. all of this stuff to the fact that she's under that police chief. But go ahead. 
I posted a picture of that black police chief. For example, I also wrote a report. I did a video. 104 Dallas police officers were documented by the Plainview Project of posting racist stuff on social media. 104. Only 24 are under investigation, and only four of them have been put on administrative leave, as Colin Kaepernick said, paid vacation. So how do you just narrow it down to just 24 out of 104 documented racists on your force? She's enabling a racist cesspool under her command. She's just as responsible as anybody, okay? And then that black judge, I didn't know that about they were sorority sisters. That black judge was signaling to cops, look, I tried to give her out by introducing the castle doctrine to the jury instructions, but the jury convicted her anyway. Well, let me go hug on this white racist cop to send a message to y'all that I'm still down with y'all. That, that's another way of looking at it, you know? Very true. So I'm just yeah. on that just behavior. And that's all I got for, for, for y'all brothers. And I just appreciate the thoughtful commentary that I heard heard tonight, and I think it was a very constructive program. Thank you, and thanks for your contribution as well. I greatly appreciate that. Jenna, do you had anything you wanted to add? Hey, I've just been enjoying all of the different uh, perspectives and the viewpoints. It's a lot of things that have come up in conversation tonight that some of us have never even thought of and those that's going to listen to the podcast, you know, it's going to be a lot of things for them to think about. I just enjoy it. It's a constant uh, growth every week. And as we get, you know, hopefully we'll be able to uh, build upon this to where we could do this more times a week because it's needed uh, just to, uh, yeah therapy of having these conversations whatever frustrations that you have where you could a safe place to where we could come together and have these discussions without fighting is i'm just enjoying it at this point uh if there's any other listeners that have a a a question or a comment that they want to add before we get out of here tonight uh you can open your mics uh star star and we'll be go ahead right because we're getting ready to get out of here so if there's anybody else that has something on their mind, go ahead. There's a good possibility that Amber might not even walk out of prison, y'all. There's a good possibility of that, and I've seen it. That's true. I've, I've seen it just for $7.60 in ramen noodles and stamps. I watched the man true. die just over uh, some stamps and noodles. So it's a good possibility. I'm holding out hope for that. Oh, by the way, this is Hayes. I keep getting thrown off for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe it's, you know, the Hmm. telecommunications in the area. But this is the third time I've had to call back. But uh, as you were saying... I was wondering. Go ahead. Oh. The scan rap that y'all were talking about, Uh they were doing that. They were doing that early in the 90s. Now, I've been on bulletin board since the 80s. They they were calling that Carden. And before Carden, it was getting free telephone calls with this thing called Phone Box. And those yeah. that don't know about the, the dark web, oh, yes. Yes, you can get on the dark web, and I can say my VPN is tight, so I can tell you exactly what's in, in front of me. You can find anything you want. And right now, for $150,000, if you want it, you can buy a rocket system called a book. 
and a book is that same rocket system that they shot down that airliner in the Ukraine. Now, that's some crazy stuff that you can have that delivered wherever you want. So that's what's on the dark web, people. And we're not even going to talk about the, the, the hits that you can buy with Bitcoin. We're not going to talk about the snuff bills you can order with Bitcoin. I don't even go into the, the pictures and stuff because I don't even want to go into that realm. I already know what's there. Why I'm on the black web is for firmware, hardware, or anything like that that will help me learn more in the p- computer field. I'm not with that stealing people's information. My information was stolen from me, so I know how that feels. But what they're talking about, what they're talking about, this camera, this old news. These are just dumb kids that are, they're, they're so stupid that these are the same type of kids that will sell their own car for gas money. All right? So it, it, this is nothing new. It may be new to a, a, a certain few, but if you're deep into the computer world and you've had a computer as long as I've had, this is just another generation of cardi. It's just faster. That's all I got. Yeah, they're passing. Thank you for that. They're passing on the information a lot quicker via the 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 rap because it's it's um you know it's the fastest way of propagating something outside of the internet is to say it in a rap song and if you make it popular, then you're reaching you know tens of thousands in some cases millions of people. So yeah, uh, and you're right. That type of stuff has been around. It's just that the dark web has made it much more sophisticated and to get act and you get more act you get more access to much bigger amounts of people's personal information well, in one swoop. Yeah. You he is correct, but that goes back to what I say we have no culture and that's well that's one of the things that we need to start. It's like uh Brother Rise, uh Brother Hayes, Brother Scotty as well. All of them have repeated this tonight. Same theme, it seems like. And that's to have this information, but we have to share that information as well. Because even though that's old news, there's so many, so many of us who have no idea that that is out there. But with that being said, uh we also have a, another caller. I want to get this call in. Uh, your sure. mic is open. Uh, what's your name? Where you're calling from? What is your question to comment? Area code 610. This is Africa calling from New Jersey. Greetings, mm. peace, and power. Peace. And much respect to your grandmother. I was born under the scales. My birthday is in a week. Mine is well. This is Sister Sharon. Yes, I know the voice. Thank you, Ross. Thank you, Brother Jenna. Hey, I'm a Libra, Brother Jenna. I'm a Libra grandmother. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So you guys need to get Oh, really? It was a wonderful program. Um, Keep broadening your knowledge. I've always tried to tell you it's a bizarro world and one thing we need to do as a collective group we'll have to call on our ancestors to try to help fix this mess because it's getting out of hand and you know without a doubt it's, it's changing drastically and quickly 
And I think we need to, you know, remember the families who have lost loved ones through police brutality. So when you think of Joshua Brown and, you know, think of what that national exposure did to the hearts of the families who lost their loved ones because of this, this slaughtering. And, you know, maybe that can help a little. So I didn't want to keep things. Uh, the information was very good on Google and all of that. Google takes some responsibility in some of this uh, mess that's taking place among our people. And I don't, um, you know, I have no choice in the matter with using Google, but I try not to support them in any other manner. I won't. I will not. You know, anything that's um, being, you know, controlled and, and, and implemented and they have to use Google, I have to pull out. I, I just can't. I can't give my money to it. But I do have to use them as most people. So I am for decentralization. Other than that, yeah, I mean, everything was on point with you two guys as usual. You are, you, you, just, you're, you really are a good pair. You know, you're equal in your strengths and your knowledge. And I always you. wish you well. Your program has been so instrumental in my life. You know, and I was, you know, I was, I was in a somewhat of a small bad place. And if it wasn't for the knowledge that I have been gifted from you guys, I don't, you know, so I appreciate that so very much. I want to give a shout out to Scotty and send love his way. But um, I'm proud. I am a proud African woman. So thank you so much for all of that and get, you know, get some rest and uh, protection, protection of the ancestors on all of you. And, you know, I'll do what, what I can. And, you know, I'm, I'm back. I enjoyed the program so much. I've missed the program and it wasn't through any fault of you guys. So I hung in here tonight because I, I sincerely missed you. And um, <laughs> yeah, my my I'm my heart is who I am. I have an African heart. So thank you for tonight. Okay. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye bye. You too. You too. Peace and love. Hey, Ross. If if nobody else has uh, anything to add, uh, that would be some great energy to uh, to end the show with. Uh, I agree. Um, I just wanted to read something briefly before we sign off. This is a quote from um, one of my favorite authors, um, I.E. Kwee Arma. Um, it was uh, one of my Jenna two Umalima Baruti, who actually had discussed this quote. It says, the events that have shattered our people were not simply painful events. They were disasters. They were strange, unnatural catastrophes. Those who survived them could only survive in part because they found ways to forget the catastrophes. When you're still close to past dangers that tend to wipe you out, even remembrance pains you. Our people forgot a lot of things in order to survive. We even went beyond forgetfulness. To forget thoroughly the shattering and dispersal of a people that was once whole 
we have gone so far as to pretend we have always been these silly little fragments. Forgetfulness is natural, but only for a while, not for all time. Forgetfulness helps the disease cross over the time of greatest pain. It is a sort of sleep, like the sleep brought on by, by herbs to help a sick man rest when his disease has exhausted him. In that case, forgetfulness works towards health. But when the period of forgetfulness is prolonged unnaturally, then it doesn't work towards health. It works towards death. We have forgotten. We are in a state of forgetfulness. And we need to start remembering, most importantly, who and what we are. And once we're able to remember that, we will remember the fact that we, we are reflections of the creator. And that no one's going to take care of us except us. So we need to just remember and put aside the petty differences, put aside the petty arguments, and really, really work towards coalescing around solving our problems. If we can do that, then we will be unstoppable. Like Scotty said previously, our colonizers are not as powerful as they have trained us to think they are. If they were, they wouldn't work so hard to keep us in the position that we're in and to keep us separated from each other like they do. So they know that someone is going to come up with the answer to this problem. And it's that fear that drives our mistreatment and abuse and the indoctrination of us towards loving them and hating ourselves. That's what I wanted to contribute with that last um, quote before we, we actually sign off for the night. So if anybody else has anything they want to chime in with before we sign off, this is the last chance to do so. Other than that, we'll say the prayer and close out. So I'll just wait a second to see if anyone does want to say anything. Everybody's mics open, even the ones who did not uh, want their mics open. So if anybody has any parting words, now is your time. I have one from Mr. Riley Fuller. This is where I get this from. Um, and I'm paraphrasing, Mr. He talks about justice versus injustice. So there's two sides, really, that we break down. Is justice, are you practicing justice, or are you practicing non-justice? And I'll end it with that. Which side are you on? Yes. Thank you for that. Um, the African proverb I say is if there are no enemies within, enemies without can do very little harm. It is the enemies within that continue to keep us in the situation we're in collectively. So we need to really cease to continue to make enemies of those within and those who are enemies of our people that are are within our uh, general body. We have to either help them become better versions of themselves or exorcise them from our exercises towards liberation and justice. And with that, I would like to say peace and love. Thank you to everybody for spending your Tuesday evening with us. It was an incredible conversation. We greatly appreciate everyone, Sister Sharon, Brother Cujo, Brother Hayes, Brother Scotty, um, yourself, Jenna, um, and all the other callers and listeners. If I did forget anyone, please forgive me. Charge it to my head, not my heart. Um, Know that you want to stay out of the hands of these slave catchers. One of the first things you can do if you're driving is to buckle up. That would be the first thing you can do that can prevent them having any reason to pull you over. Um, I would say also a great site, I believe it's called Know Your Rights. It really gives great information on how to interact with the police 
in a legal and safe way so that if you are pulled over, especially as a black person, you will have a greater chance of surviving that moment, even if you are mistreated. So you can follow up and deal with that situation in a legal sense rather than potentially being killed. So with that, I would just like to say thank you all once again for spending your time with us. We should be back next week, Tuesday, same time, same place. And we'll start the prayer now. Um, Creator, we ask that you help us to remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us to remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places, each and every time that we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Let's replace white supremacy with justice, ASAP, and let's end the prison industrial complex and human trafficking as well. I am in the love of the all, and all love is in me. I am a part of the all, and the all is a part of me. I am one with the all, and the all is one with me. I can succeed as a part of the all and fail as an individual. I can be all that I wish in the all as long as my wish is to stay in the all. I am never alone. The all is. I am. The all can. I can. The all does. I do. And also, a happy birthday shout-out to Amaru Choice, the grandmother of Jenna, and thanks for bringing us together to do this program. And we're going to do you proud by continuing to do this program. Peace and love. One love to everybody. Good night. Yahoo and Ubuntu to you all. Hey, peace and love. And I just want to add one more thing. Just to, to stress this one more time before we end the show. Sure. Take that knowledge that you learn and pass it to your children. You can't always pass it to other adults. Sometimes people just are at a point to where they can't receive anything else. You have to pass it to your children and to their children and to their children. And that's how you change the mindset of a generation. And I'm going to leave you with this. Like I said, one of Chattanooga's finest alongside my grandmother. Yeah, I love baby. Whatever may be your good sign, we're not all the same seed, although we are both the same breed. Together we're truly black power, learning to trust by the hour. Loving my women now more, respecting what that is not for. And we've got love, 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 I'm glad we both think it's now time to really show what we can do. Improving the pride is not true. At last, without grown on the tongue, devoting no time in the sun, showing our own and we pride that makes us feel all good inside. 